Mo Facts with Adam Curry for July 20th, 2020. This is episode number 43. Cash rules everything around me. Green, get the money. Dollar, dollar bill, y'all. Yes. Here he is, our very own dollar, dollar bill, y'all. Hey, Mo, how you doing? I'm doing good, Adam. How about yourself? <laughs> Fantastic, man. I love this track. This is really good. Wu-Tang Clan. The Wu-Tang Clan. The one and only. Love it. Love it. Well, uh, apologies, everybody. It's been, uh, we've had a a bit of an absence since episode 42. I will take first responsibility since I decided to uh, hustle my bride away for her birthday. We went to Rona Mm -hmm. Central in uh, Florida. I came back and we're still alive. And uh, and Mo, you you were still kind of moving, <laughs> so we we wanted to get yep. back on for track on track for Saturday, and I don't know, it's like Mo what? had all kinds of people what? showing up at the house. Uh, on my end, okay, so it's twice your fault, Adam, and oh. once mine. Let's just get, <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. Let's give credit. Let's give credit where credit's due. Uh, all right. All okay. Right. So you went on vacation. Yes. And then you then you. Kick me down a rabbit hole. Oh, <laughs> right. Okay, I'm sorry. Yes. <laughs> In that case, yes, indeed. Uh, it is my yes. fault. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then Saturday, I get up 5 a.m. I got the coffee going. I'm going to say get my clip list already. Yeah. And I hear, well, I don't actually hear a knock at the door. My daughter comes downstairs and said, hey, Dad, there's somebody at the door, which yeah. that's rare around these parts. Right. <laughs> and these it's days. the ADT guy. Uh, he shows up unbeknownst to anybody. Uh-uh. He's like, hey, I'm here to put your security system in. We, we've been waiting for two weeks. I'm like, ah, uh, and it's one of these guys. He <laughs> and you knows can't, you everything can't send him everything. away. And you can't send him away at that point. I mean, you, you got to keep my, him there. No. Yeah. I, I would have to leave with him because yeah. my wife's like, if we don't have security here and you know, whatever, whatever. <laughs> you're so, going to need a lot of coffee for sit and watch for the next 24 hours. <laughs> right so then he was I, I called him at the door i'm like i want cameras here here and here and i'm trying to go back downstairs and every second he was like sorry do you know this feature do you know that feature i'm like come on hey. so then we just ran out of time <laughs> and does it all work is it all hooked up and is it all installed now are you safe is the family safe yes okay i feel safe i can see all 360 degrees in my property and nice um i feel quite safe excellent well we uh we of course committed to each other we're really going to try and keep a saturday schedule now as things have started to shake out and uh mo actually has a day job that he's kind of figured into a schedule so we should be uh, we should be good for our saturdays from now on god willing you never know life does get in the way from time to time how about i spin hey, the I, wheel can oh. i say one thing yeah, please for, before you do the reason why i have to stay on schedule now is because of my newest biggest fan even before the show i was his biggest fan my uncle richard oh okay uncle, he is uncle now richard. he is now yeah, he is. I found out he's a listener. Huh. So uh, he's like, he's like, when you dropping? When you dropping? So, <laughs> all right, all right, Uncle Richard, nice. Well, at least we know we have one fan. That's good. I know we got a lot of producers out yeah, there, so. but actual fans. All right, this is a big deal. All right. Well, yes. uh, I'm going to uh, see what we got on the uh, old uh, wheel of topics. Uh, man, there's so much, but we know it's somewhere located near a rabbit hole. So as we see it go round and round, where does it stop? Nobody knows. Mo knows because today's show topic is... We uh, are trained Marxists. <laughs> that would be um, uh, Patrice uh, uh, Colors. What's your name from Black Lives Matter? Yes, Patrice Colors yeah. from Black Lives I know Matter. Her now. That yes. is correct. Yes. I, oh, by the and way, I want to come right out the box. Yes, go ahead. Before we start, I just wanted to say, are we going to talk about Kanye today at any point? 
No. Okay. We can't. We can't. We can't. Kanye, he needs his own episode. I mean, like, he already had one episode already. Exactly. Exactly. All right. I'm sorry. I didn't when you mean, go down the Kanye rabbit hole. Yeah, no, no, you're right. It's, it's, that's the major, that's a major, major. It's flagged. Uh, it's a flag topic. It's on the way. Uh, yes. There will be plenty of time, no doubt. Yes. But we have to talk about the Patrice Colors and her admission. That we all have speculated, uh, pointed to, but she just came right out and said it, that they're trained Marxists. Yes. <laughs> yes. That was pretty good. I, I, <laughs> uh, so, as you always know, I wanted to go back and listen to the whole interview that that snippet came from. Yep. And that is um, more Mr. Jared A. Ball. And it's titled An Interest, Interesting Interview with Black Lives Matter co-founder Patrice Cullors. So, Patrice, for those who may have just been introduced to you in a most direct way uh, at the Netroots Conference uh, intervention you conducted, um, uh. please help them and us see past what appears, from my point of view, to have been a tremendous amount of appropriation and suppression of you, Opal, and Alicia as founders, and the particular brand of radical black gender and sexuality politics you all work with. So, if you would, please summarize for us how you see the origins, politics, and per purpose of black lives matter wow so they, i kind of remember there was a disruption at the net roots uh which is a political thing isn't it net roots y- yes yeah yes i, I seem to recall so, this it was pretty much they were trying to be co-opted uh i mean as you know with any uh organization they usually take the leaders out or replace the leaders so as jared said they were um being suppressed and appropriated. And then he also said a radical brand of black gender oh, yeah. and sexuality <laughs> politics. <laughs> Which to me sounded like, wait a minute, do we have more lesbian black women on the scene again? Because this is, I've seen this. Yes. And and we're really going to get to what Black Lives Matter is about. And I want to say this. I know I tried to run with the term Black Lives Matter Inc., yeah, but to dif- differentiate between the organization and the people on the ground. Mm-hmm. But I think I'm going to shorten it up just to Black Ink, and Black okay. Ink is pretty much going to be anything that's done as far as business. That could be the Al Sharpton's of the world, the Jesse Jacksons, the Black Lives Matters, and we'll be just nice, short and sweet Black, Black Ink. Ink. I like it. I like it. Uh, I'm actually <laughs> going to see if I can find the domain name. <laughs> continue i'm i'm playing along don't worry <laughs> all right so to to further flesh out this radical brand of black uh gender and sexuality politics um in clip number three they go on to talk about um black men um i think that's a great question and <laughs> the first place i'll go is the origins come from a, a deep place of black love and black rage um, both um, Alicia, myself, and Opal feeling the impact of uh, George Zimmerman being acquitted of Trayvon Martin's murder, uh, what that actually meant for our society, what that meant for this country to allow for this uh, light-skinned uh, white-passing white man to kill a young boy and get away with it. Uh, we knew this was going to have consequences far greater than that current moment. And so Black Lives Matter was a call for all Black lives. And it was important for us 
as black women as and two of which are queer was to actually talk about the t- totality of black life and that um, black cis men uh, are not the sum of black people but rather um, all black life being um, the totality of, of black people, uh, whether that's black trans folk, whether that's black folks who've been incarcerated, whether that's black folks who are currently incarcerated, black folks with disabilities. Um, we wanted to call a new black liberation movement that centered those most at the margin um, uh, as a part of a political frame to challenge the current system that we live in. Wow, Mo, sounds to me like you're out. You're on the outs there, man. You don't don't count. I, I am not surprised. I was never surprised. <laughs> oh, but wow. Uh, because as, as she said, I mean, a lot, this clip, there's a lot to unpack. First of all, the origin that she said it comes out of black love and black rage. Yeah. Black rage towards who is a question that we need to ask. Mm-hmm. Because as two queer women, as she also said, I'm sure there's some black rage aimed at black men, black cisgendered men to be specific. Mm-hmm. Uh, she also says about a light skinned white passing man. Uh, she referring to George Zimmerman yeah. because we know, all know George Zimmerman would be actually classified as, as Hispanic. Uh, Latinx. But uh, excuse me. <laughs> so um, this light skinned white passing man, uh, We've talked about passing on this show. And then she rounds out the clip with black cis men are not the sum of black people. Yeah. Even though they use black cis men in majority to push their cause forward. But this, <laughs> as I've been saying, yeah, since tool, the, you know, man. the beginning tool. of the show, <laughs> we are being used. We're a political football. Um To kick open the door. What they realized is what all other groups have realized about black people. They said, okay, we can use black men to kick open the door (laughs) and leave black men holding the door while we rush all our other Everybody rushes in. Yeah, exactly. So, um... Are you surprised, Adam? I mean, are, no, well, this- you know, as, as I said, well, we, of course, we've done some work on Black Lives Matter, and I've, I've researched it quite a bit myself. And to hear that there's a strong anti-man element in it, no, is not surprising at all. It's, uh, it's part of the, the, the problematic patriarchy. In this case, it's specifically sliced and diced. And, uh, yeah, it seems like a repetition of what we've been talking about for almost, by the way, July 31st is our one-year anniversary. So, <clears throat> yeah, it's, uh, I, am, I, am I surprised? No, but that's because I've been around for almost a year. <laughs> I've paid attention. And, and what I wanted people to realize is, I've said this a couple times, one is we brought up this term heteronormative yeah. uh, patriarchy. Yep. I think that's, I think that's the term. Uh, and I've also stated that there's been an article written and one Jamel Hill supported this article and it got a lot of support from what you call allies of black lives matter stating that black men are the white people of black people. Yes, <laughs> um, exactly. We'll, we'll get around to breaking that down eventually, but I'm, I want this interview. Everybody ran with the Marxist thing. <laughs> yeah. But I think this is more telling entry of the black community uh, because Black men are the catalyst that black men being killed in the street are the catalyst for what's going for on all the for everything that's going on. But Thank they want to say, oh, no, 
we'll push it to the side and, and we'll talk about our agenda. And I, I want, I don't want to be labor the point, but we talked about in one of our other shows that they brought up climate change yeah. and well, it's all kind of it, weird stuff. What it is, it's exclusionary. It's all, she literally said it. She said all lives matter, but you know, we really need to focus on anything but cis black men. That's, that's what she said. You can't deny it. Yes, because we're the problem. I'm sorry, we're the we're the well, white hello, men. Of, uh, hello, hello. <laughs> we're the white people of black people. Why do you think? Why do you think we've joined in together on this show, man? It's like white white men are an even bigger problem. So yeah, it and, makes sense. And I'll, and I'll say this. I'll say this in closing, and we can go into the next clip. But they're putting black cis men in a very paintless into a corner because now you're making us choose between being quote unquote black. Or being a quote unquote man. Yeah. And that's not a decision you really don't want us to make. <laughs> no. Just just being honest. So um wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Yes. Which to me means if you really had to choose gun to your head, you'd choose for being a man. Yes, I had to choose being a man I, first. I, I would have expected nothing else from you, actually. So yeah. But that because that's more of my identity. I mean, if you want to get into identities. That's a bigger part of my identity of than blackness. Yes. Well, this I so. this I know because you know we hang out, <laughs> <laughs> right? So, um, I guess we can get right into Marxists. How do you respond to that particular critique? Again, a loving critique from an elder of the struggle uh, that some others share, uh, that I've even shared as well, to, to be frank, as a concern about, uh, in part because of the co-optation and, and the appropriation, that, that a, a more clear ideological um, structuring might be of some value here. But how do you respond to, to, to those kinds of, uh, again, loving criticisms? Huh. Um, I think that the criticism is helpful. Um, I also think that it might, um, I think of a lot of things. The first thing I think is that we actually do have an ideological frame. Um, myself and Alicia in particular are trained organizers. Um, we, uh, are trained Marxists. Um, we are, uh, super, uh, versed um, on sort of ideological theories and I think that what we really try to do is build a movement that could be utilized by many, many black folk. Um, we don't necessarily want to be the vanguard um, of this movement. I think we've tried to put out a political frame that's about um, centering who we think are the most vulnerable amongst the black community to really fight for all of our lives. Kind of kicking myself because of course I was mm -hmm. one of those dopes who just got the marxist comment for the no agenda show and left it at that but you're right there's a lot in here <laughs> this is deep I'm, I'm really glad you did that we've trained you well right, on the so, no agenda show <laughs> <laughs> so this so the setup is uh jared jared asked um patrice about uh critics saying black Lives matters lack structure or a plan so she i think she was irked by that because one Jared, even himself, being a man, mm -hmm. uh, assume yes. a cisgender male, <laughs> oh uh, questioning, <laughs> questioning her. And then it was an elder that also he framed the question that had brought up the point and he agreed with the point. Right. So I think she was irked and by being irked. She let the truth come out to say that we're trained mm -hmm. one mm -hmm. trained organizers. And when I hear the word organizer, I think community organizer. Yeah, yeah. And I think no, not other than Barry. O. <laughs> no, so, we are. <laughs> community right. So, uh, 
You hear train organizer. I said, okay, so my ears perked up, and then she drops the hammer. She says, we're trained Marxists. That, and if ve- you know yeah, Marxism. That's a, good analysis. that's a very good analysis. I think you're right. She just needed to, th- she was like, who, who, who do you think I am? And that's a ve- and you're right. And she let it slip out and says, excuse me, just so you know, I'm not some dipshit who just stood up here. I'm a trained, trained Marxist. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Like a revolutionary. Right. And, like, don't mess with me. And she used the word. She said, "We're super versed." Yeah, super versed. <laughs> so she's a super. So she's a super trained Marxist. Super versed. Um, <laughs> are, are we? I'm not surprised though, because if you saw that was me breaking down the waves. Right. <laughs> the first wave it, are Marxist tactics. Yep. And then you use the second wave of propag- um, um Excuse me, of provocateurs. Third wave is your criminal element, and then the fourth wave you blanket it all. And with the good people. So then you hide amongst the masses. Who did this interview again? Who was the interviewer? This is Jared A. Ball from the Mix What I Like, uh, I guess, podcast or show. Oh. Um, so well, I, I, it was a great find for him. I would guess, I would hope that he, uh, that his follow-up question was, where did you receive your train, your Marxist training? And who trained you? And uh, could you give me a little details on that? I'm sure that was a question, wasn't it? No, it wasn't. And I want to say this about Jared. Jared seems to be very left leaning. Mm-hmm. I don't want to you know, cast anything upon him, but um, he seems, I mean, he's big. He's as my uh, majoring in colonialism. He's a professor. So um, okay. on black history and things of that nature. So I think he understood what she was saying. It was like um, what's understood doesn't have to be explained kind of situation. Okay. All right. Um, so to set up this next clip, Patrice goes on to define black and Black Lives Matter. Uh, one last question, if I could, real quick. There has been some controversy in some circles over the definition of black. Mm-hmm. Uh, could you say a word or two about how you conceive the term black and what you mean when you say black lives matter? Uh, black to me is both um, about a race that's been constructed, but it's also a political statement. It's a political framework. And I think it's important um, as we are building out this movement for black liberation that we in the Black Lives Matter movement allow for um, necessary debate to come up around how we use the term and who's using the term and when it's used and um, why it's a it's an important point to sort of uh, build people together. Um, and I think it's specifically important when it comes to how the U.S. is very clever at um, turning other groups um, white, right, and making them white. And we've seen that throughout history when groups were not white and when uh, the white power structure was threatened, they uh, figured out a way to make groups white. And I think as we move forward, we have to figure out political alignments that um, hold blackness as a, as a broader framework than just sort of the skin we're in, but as a, a political um, statement. I'm curious, um what groups she's talking about, because a lot of the groups that we've discussed in the past mm-hmm. started out with white leadership, including historically black colleges and uh, uh, NAACP. What groups is she referring to? When you say groups, I mean, can you can you clarify what, what you mean? Organizations, uh, uh, NAACP, other groups. Was she talking yeah. about uprisings and like Black Panther? I'm not sure. Uh, I think what she says. So she says, okay, a couple of things she says there. One, 
she blames America for making other people white when it's when it's convenient, correct? Well, she made that statement. Well, uh, she said that you know we have groups, and then the U.S. She said is great at at uh, at turning them white or making them white. Oh, I okay. Re- I got, I got, I got, I got, I got, I got it now. No, what she, what she's referring to is how the Irish were the Irish, and then they were made white. The Hispanic ah, were Hispanic, oh, and then they were okay. made white. Got it, got so, it, got okay. it. Oh, all right. I'm glad we figured okay. that one out. Oh. Yeah, because we were hearing it two different ways. Yeah, how I heard was it kind of cool, actually. I like that. Yeah, that was cool. Okay. So so how I heard it was when the num- white people, quote-unquote white people, numbers are low, they'll ingrain and, and graft. Uh, I mean, graft ah, in okay, but that's, other groups. But that's basically that's the system of white supremacy that was started over in Europe. That was. <laughs> I've learned so much. Oh, teach! I want to start on my forehead. <laughs> yes. Okay. That is true. That is truly the that capturing that way is what we've defined as true white supremacy. And the point I want to make is she just did this a clip previous two clips prior mm-hmm. with George Zimmerman because she made she him did the white. same thing. <laughs> ah, bam. Okay. I got it now. All right. All right. And here's the conflict. And this is why I have to use black ink because unbeknownst to me, Uh-oh. I thought black was talking about my lineage, but l- little <laughs> did I know it was also a political statement. I, I would no boy let me know this. <laughs> that I'm I was sorry. a walking, talking political statement. That's why you're so, like a sandwich guy, you know, hanging. <laughs> you got the sandwich boards on the front and the back. Wow. Right. So this is why we have to use this term from 43 on. When okay. we're talking about black, we have to talk about black ink. ink. Yep. Because black ink is the political statement, which they are monetizing. Yes. For political and monetary gain right um yes then she says who can use the term so basically it's a licensing agreement (laughs) it's like it's like it is we're determining who can use this yeah well and you know that may not be far off but mo that may not be far off i'm sure that you can't just be using black lives matter i'm sure that's all licensed they got that down man they had that shit i mean i found out they had that locked up in 2015 they had it all sewed up the legalese, everything for but, all the trademarks, you name it. But they're talking about black itself. Oh, yeah. So this co- is why yes. we saw all these millions and millions of dollars pouring in for corporations because yep. it's like we need to be black affiliated, yeah, right? Of so course. it's, it's kind of like a uh, he, the high efficient on your on your, <laughs> on on your, your uh, washer powders or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like all your all your brands are, <laughs> are black friendly. So that's that's the money you saw rolling in, and she and finally she said she blacks as broader framework than skin. uh, She said blacks as a broader framework than the skin we're in. Yes, huh? So now they're just going to graft in who they want to to be black. Yeah, yeah. That that by the way is the work of a trained Marxist. That kind of wording is good, man. (laughs) That now she's good at it. She's good. Give her big props for that. So we have the birth of black ink. So now we have to go back and say, what is Marxism and who is Karl Marx? Marx was born in 1818 in Trier in Germany. Soon he became involved with the Communist Party, a tiny group of intellectuals advocating for the overthrow of the class system and the abolition of private property. He worked as a journalist and had to flee Germany, eventually settling in London. 
Marx wrote an enormous number of books and articles, sometimes with his friend Friedrich Engels. Mostly, Marx wrote about capitalism, the type of economy that dominates the Western world. It was, in his day, still getting going, and Marx was one of its most intelligent and perceptive critics. These were some of the problems he identified with it. Modern work is alienated. One of Marx's greatest insights is that work can be one of the sources of our greatest joys. But, in order to be fulfilled at work, Marx wrote that workers need to see themselves in the objects they have created. <laughs> nice. I bet you, you've been on this case yep. for a while now, but I bet you didn't realize it. You want me, you want to know what it is? Yes, please. Noodle boys are Marxist. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but it's what yeah. he just said. What he just said, I need to recognize myself in my work. Yes. Yeah. 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 It, that's exactly what he was saying. He was saying, I, I know you don't want me to make the noodles this way, but I yeah. need to recognize myself, <laughs> myself in, my in the work. noodles. In the noodles. I don't see myself in the and noodles. Then, <laughs> that's 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 pure Marxist talk. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't want to take your noodle gun from you because that's a no agenda thing. So I came up with my own thing. It's called the cancel cannon. <laughs> the cancel so, cannon. I love it. I love it. I love it. That is good. Let me hear that thing again. Right. Ah, nice. Cancel cannon. Excellent. Excellent. So we're seeing these, the intersectionality, to use the language of Noodle Boy, Black Lives Matter. They're all saying... We want to take ownership and control the, you know, the, the organization. Yes. And we want to control production, which is where socialism and communism come in. Right. And this is, I, I just wanted to point that out because I was like, wow, like, because it didn't dawn on me. It was like, Noodleboy, I thought he was just complaining and like, you know, it was like more of a, uh, and I don't want to get into the generational uh, war, but more like a millennial just complaining about, you know, why do we have to do it this way? Yeah. But this is ironclad Marxism that he w- he was kicking out there. <laughs> well, especially in light of how uh, Patrice Cullors was talking about, you know, it being uh, more than just the skin, go beyond the skin, become part of something else. And that would be the work, I guess. Yes, this is the work. Yeah. This, <laughs> and this is, it is doing the work. The work. Uh, just as an aside, because I've done a lot on Karl Marx and uh, his name mm-hmm. was mentioned in that first clip, Richard Engels. Um, yes. The uh, thinking for me goes that, Marx, you know, he already was a journalist. He was really kind of like a blogger of his age. And uh, mm-hmm. I believe it was a lot of Richard Engels or Engels, actually, uh, that had a lot of the ideas. And uh, Karl Marx blogged about it and he got most of the credit. Uh, doesn't really matter because Marxism remains the same, the same thing. Yeah, I mean, Engelism doesn't have the ring to it as Marxism does. <laughs> at all, at all, absolutely, I'm telling you. No, it's all about the branding. Of course. At the end of the day. Why do you think so I'm I, the podfather and Dave Weiner hates me? I mean, it's obvious. Right, it's all, all about the branding. <laughs> yeah. So um, I guess we can uh, get deeper into who Karl Marx was with uh, Clip 7. Part of the problem is that modern work is incredibly specialised. Specialized jobs make the modern economy highly efficient, but they also mean that it's seldom possible for any one worker to derive a sense of the genuine contribution they might be making to the real needs of humanity. Marx argued that modern work leads to alienation, entfremdung, 
In other words, a feeling of disconnection between what you do all day and who you feel you really are and what you think you'd ideally be able to contribute to existence. Modern work is insecure. Capitalism makes the human being utterly expendable, just one factor among others in the forces of production, and one that can ruthlessly be let go the minute that costs rise or savings can be made through technology. And yet, as Marx knew deep inside each of us, we don't want to be arbitrarily let go. We're terrified of being abandoned. Communism isn't just an economic theory. Understood emotionally, it expresses a deep-seated longing that we always have a place in the world's heart, that we will not be cast out. Mm. <clears throat> yes. A lot to unpack there. One, I think a lot of these people that get sucked into Marxism is because they don't have the family there, right? I mean, that's where you really find your identity is from your family and Always. that kind of thing. So if your whole life is dedicated to your job, you're saying to your job, I need you to appreciate me. I can't let you cut me off easily. Uh, so I think that's why we're starting to see this pivot back to Karl Marx, communism, socialism. I mean, there it's all it's all on the same mile markers on the same road. I mean, in my opinion, yeah, and, um, and uh, the, the lack of a father uh, may is probably just as you know. Forget just family, just lack of a a, a man about the house. So maybe that's why their number one target is the man. Hmm. I mean, it, it, it just becomes cyclical, right? It just yep. is self Feeds itself. self feeding. Yep. Now I will say I do myself have. Capitalism is the best system. I don't think we're in a capitalistic society anymore. I think it's more corporatist. Mm -hmm. Or um, some people even say, uh, what is it? Um, what's the term they like to use? Technocratic, yeah, technocratic society. society. Um, yeah, that's another good one. So, but um, Henry Ford, I just I mean, as a small aside, Henry Ford had realized this issue that of profit sharing. Right, you have to you have to share the profits with the workers yep. to keep the workers motivated. And he had this thing called a social welfare department. And what he would do is he would study the workers and he would give them, uh, he came up with the $5 a day, uh, $5 per day work day, which was unheard of in 1914. He also, um, what was it, a 40-hour work week. So I think within capitalism, there is an opportunity to balance out the worker and employee relationship. Mm -hmm. But this is what... The communist slash socialist slash Marxist prey on is this rift between the worker and the employee. And I think capitalists have to do a better job. And that's just my quick aside. Well, on, and, and, on and I would add to that. I know a lot of people who still work at the Ford Motor Company today and that um, uh, that uh, what is that culture of being proud of what they're doing altogether is definitely still there. I mean, they, they love the cars that they build and you know, it's the stuff you see in the commercial, you know, brr, we work here, boom. And I'm sure Chevy has the same, uh, but the Ford motor company still has that absolute culture. And it, and I think the people there are still pretty happy, even though of course they're being eliminated uh, by automation, but you know, it's not that fast a process and there's always human creativity needed. Well, being in manufacturing myself, anytime you can point to your children and say, I built that or I helped right? build that. Yeah. That is great for society in itself because it allows your children to have a certain respect for you that my dad creates something. Yeah. Uh, I mean, of course, you have it in other industries as well. But I'm just speaking in manufacturing terms because 
that's when uh, it was really industrial age when this thing was really kicking up right um with Karl Marx so uh let's wrap out wrap up this final set of clips with uh prophecy's death this is perhaps the most obvious qualm that Marx had with capitalism in particular he believed that capitalists shrink the wages of the laborers as much as possible in order to skim off a wide profit margin he called this primitive accumulation ursprüngliche accumulation Whereas capitalists see profit as a reward for ingenuity and technological talent, Marx was far more damning. Profit is simply theft, and what you're stealing is the talent and hard work of your workforce. However much one dresses up the fundamentals, Marx insists that at its crudest, capitalism means paying a worker one price for doing something and then selling it to somebody else at a much higher price. Profit is the fancy term for exploitation. Well, you know, for that day, I can see I can see why that made sense. I I don't think it's true anymore. I mean that that people get screwed, yes, but there's uh, go ahead. Yeah, no, no, I, I, you you you're on the right path. And if you look and you just put it in, on an improper context, if you're talking about black people fresh out of slavery mm-hmm. and experiencing sharecropping, when you hear this just on the surface level, yeah. it may seem appealing to you. Yeah, uh, but one side is like right. You mean like yeah. I do all the food, I do all the work, yeah. and then you come in, you take all the exactly. exactly. You take all the profits, and yeah. you you basically and, and sometimes you leave me in debt. A lot of times, sharecroppers were left in debt. debt so, yeah. so when you hear this alternate um, economic uh, ideology, you it, it might seem appealing to you, but there's only one problem. <laughs> Well, there's, there's a, it's cu- called, a couple it's, problems. It's, <laughs> no, I'm, uh, well, I'm saying to them, one, one thing they didn't realize was the term collectivism. Right. Uh, and we're, we're going to hear about that from Stephen Kotkin from the Hoover Institute. Collectivization, you're going to correct me on this, ties the peasants to collective farms, forces them to work on collective farms, in effect reintroducing serfdom. Have I got that right? Yes, that's basically the story. All right. And you write here that Stalin, in imposing collectivization, enslaved 100 million people. Again, I got that right. All right. Yes. Why? Why was that necessary? Why was collectivization of such importance to Stalin? In the old days, people argued that it was necessary because this is how you modernized a peasant country. Right. You modernized the peasant country through coercion. You use the state to force everybody to do what the state needed them to do. And that's how you built an industrial power out of a peasant country. Marxism, Leninism, and collectivization is necessary. How come? So Mar- Within those terms, how come? Marxism is about the transcendence of capitalism. Capitalism is evil, alienation, exploitation, war, on mass unemployment and depressions. So the ha- in order to get to a better place in history, Marx argued, capitalism had to be transcended. The Hegelian word, Aufhebung. Hmm. So here we have them basically saying communism or Marxism is going to lead you right back to slavery. <laughs> right. So I don't think, I don't think the sharecroppers <laughs> yeah, were told that, that part of it. No, not it's exactly. Like, instead of you paying your money to the crooked uh, slave owners, you'll just pay it to the state. Yeah. 
sounds about right. (laughs) Right. And it goes from, you know, what is it? But of course, uh, there's, there's, there's there's the illusion. The illusion is that, you know, that the state, of course, is made up by the people until you find out that it's really only the people who are in the party. And it's really it's it's nepotism all throughout. That's how that's how that usually works out. And that's the problem because all these systems are ran by humans and humans are self self uh, gratifying. So at the end of the day, you're going to be still be dealing with the same problems you have in corp, uh, capitalism of, like you said, nepotism, uh, favoritism um, and all other forms of just um, unequal and unfair, when, unfair, uh, unfair practices. When uh, when when it's appropriate in the show, Mo, let me know when I can tell you about the new emergent form of uh, ism that we're that we're right now that we're in right now. What what kind of an economy I think that is being formed? Just if there's a spot, let me know and I'll give it to you. Okay, if not, if we get too far along, just just drop it on me. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> So we have talked about communism and its relationship to civil rights. And just to bring people up to speed, I have a a throwback clip from show 22. And this is Danny Rubin, who was a uh, major figure in the Communist Party. Uh, He talks about uh, Rosa Parks and the bus movement. So then when, you know, uh, a couple of years later, we went to them and asked them to help finance these uh, buses of young people to the youth march in support of the Supreme Court decision. They they did it. They, you know, that's that's how we we were able to bring 2,000 young people to to, uh, D.C. Uh, what else? Oh, so I'm so I'm giving a picture. This is this is the stuff closest to '60 mm-hmm. that led up to it. And of course, there was Rosa Parks and and the Montgomery bus boycott and the Montgomery uh, I forget what they called association, something association. And we had a role in those things. Rosa Parks was was active in the Southern Negro Youth Congress. Um, people knew her. She was not a party member, um, but after she became a heroine, uh, she was, you know, friendly. Um, mm-hmm. Well, that, maybe this is a good point for you to mention the Highlander Folk School. Hmm? Maybe this is a good time for you to mention the Highlander Folk School. Yeah, I I intend to. Mm-hmm. Let me just finish okay, this. Okay. So yesterday, I was mm-hmm. uh, I had my headphones on. I'm listening to Kanye's rally in South Carolina. And he and he asked the crowd. He says, "You know about Rosa Parks, right? You know she wasn't the first. And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, Claudette Colvin. I know, I know Kanye. <laughs> right? Look at me, look at me." He never got to it because he got cut off, something like that. But it was it was interesting. Uh, the audience there was certainly not all in the know. Of course not. I mean, because it's narrative, and I keep telling this thing, this narrative is more powerful than real history. Oh, always. Uh, and I've said this before, and I know it. I'll keep saying it's a hot take, but the, the, the narrative of slavery is just as dangerous <laughs> yes. to black people as the a- actual act of slavery was. Because it leaves us in no, a state that's... of perpetual victimhood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm ringing the bell for you. All right, so we have Rosa Parks here. 
we know the real Rosa Parks. She liked guns, so she wasn't all for the. <laughs> she wasn't all for the um, nonviolence part of civil rights. Um, and then they said she was friendly. She could never be an official party member because she was too close to King. Right. And they and King had was the squeaky clean guy. We always say in any 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 uh, nefarious organization, you got to have the clean guy. You know the bad guy. <laughs> well, so, as, as as I've learned to say to people, oh, I'm okay. Yeah, he was the Greta of the time. Right. So I mean, you can't have Greta out here um, <laughs> getting all dirty, partaking. Yeah, getting all dirty. So and by um, just by association. Rosa Parks couldn't be seen as communist as well because a lot of people early on knew what that meant and it also opened them up for Hoover to you know have a clean line of attack against them. Yes. Uh, with that said, what we need to do is go way, way back before Rosa Parks and how communism brought uh, racial equality to the South. I'm Michelle Martin, and this is Tell Me More from NPR News. First, we continue our Black History Month series of conversations. Throughout this Black History Month, we've been focusing on new news about Black history, new scholarship that has emerged in recent decades that sheds new light on the story of Black people in America. Today, we want to hear about communists in the civil rights movement. Now, that's a sensitive subject since those working for equality have often been accused of being communists in this country, but some were. And we're joined now by Robin Kelly, author of Hammer Mm. and Ho, Alabama Communists During the Great Depression. It documents how the Communist Party worked to secure racial, economic, and political justice. He's a professor of American Studies and History at the University of Southern California, and this semester he's the Harmsworth Professor of American History at the University of Oxford. And we welcome you to the program. Thank you for joining us. Gee, somehow I, I didn't read about this in the 1619 Project. I don't understand how they could have missed that. Well, it's because you have to protect your assets, one being uh, MLK, which I told people, and we're going to see it later in the show, is he's the greatest control mechanism they have over black people. Right. Not him, not the man, but the product that they created yep. from his legacy. It's quite clear that the civil rights movement was birthed out of communism and communist tactics. Not really, well, not that really could, taught, not really taught that way. Uh, I, well, <laughs> well, Marxist teacher at Marxist university is not going to teach you about, about Marxist influence on, on, uh, exactly. No, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm all in. And this is a little discussed topic in a main, in a mainstream way. I, that's a great find. This NPR stuff is fantastic. Yeah. So, I guess we can just get into Robert Kelly uh, talks about uh, the sharecropper movement. How did you get interested in this topic? And as I mentioned, it is a sensitive topic because there are those for decades who've worked to tamp down the suggestion that anybody in the civil rights movement was attracted to the Communist Party at all. Exactly. And this is a story that actually predates the civil rights movement as we know it, going back to the 1930s. I became interested in this as a doctoral dissertation back in the mid-80s when I was very active in a lot of social movements, in actually in the L.A. area. And I wanted to know how the Communist Party organized African Americans, particularly in places where black people were the majority. 
And there I discovered a very vibrant movement that very few people wrote about. There basically were two stories, one memoir by a man named Hosea Hudson, and then another story in a book called All God's Dangers, which is about him, an African-American sharecropper. All that God's was Dangers, a, The Life of Nate Shaw. I remember that. Exactly. But his real name was Ned Cobb. Nate Shaw was a pseudonym. And it's a beautiful book that tells his life story. And only a portion of it deals with his membership in the Communist-led Sharecroppers Union, which at one point had about 12,000 members in the Black Belt counties of uh, Alabama. And were mm. all the members black? Well, in Alabama, there was a point when basically all the members except one were all African-American sharecroppers and tenant farmers. Huh. Well, I can see where all this is headed. I love it. <laughs> I'm feeling so, it all. As this, uh, the interviewer stated, they there has been concerted effort to tamp down, this is her words, to tamp down the communist connection with the civil rights movement. Indeed. So this is clear this is clear su- suppression. Yeah. Uh and it's really not because they didn't uh want to cover the story, it's they wanted to cover their tracks because the media is in on this whole thing. <laughs> I mean you have media, academia, uh and some businesses, um they are all in on pushing this narrative. And as um Wow, it's, it's, also, I, I see the repeat coming. I see the cycle forming. This is this is very interesting. I like it. Yeah. So as Robin Kelly also said, um, there was twelve thousand members in Alabama alone, all black. Yeah, all black. So I mean, we, we this just speaks to how widespread it was, and it predated the civil rights by like thirty years. So yeah. so this is nothing. This is nothing new. So you can see how Rosa Parks, she was born into pretty much this environment yeah. of of communism and it seems so appealing uh, obviously if, if, if you're a suppressed worker or you're black in the south yeah i mean i can totally yeah this sounds like a good idea that that's why i made the statement of about the sharecroppers and they're the prime target yep and not just because i think so moscow thought so 13 how did the communist party get started in alabama in 1928, the communist position internationally was that African Americans in the South have the right to self-determination, meaning they have the right to create their own nation in the South. Uh, and it's a position that came out of Moscow. Hmm. It came from other uh, black communists around the globe. And with that idea in mind, they sent two organizers to Alabama and they went to Birmingham. And they chose Birmingham because it was probably the wow. most industrialized city in the South. And they went there thinking they would organize white workers. And from white workers, black workers would follow. But no white workers would come forward. And so the first two organizers was a, a guy named James Julio, uh, who was a Sicilian worker who had migrated to Alabama. And another guy named Tom Johnson. And together, they went out looking for white workers. And black workers came. And black workers came in fairly large numbers right away because for them, they had a memory of Reconstruction, a memory of the Civil War. And in that kind of collective memory, they were told that one day the Yankees would come back and finish the fight. Well, when they saw these white communists, they said, oh, good, the Yankees are here. We can't wait to join. Wow, that's fantastic. What a great clip. Oh, my goodness. 
So you have Moscow monitor, monitoring the Black South. <laughs> it, it's, isn't this the, exactly what Trump and Russia was accused of? Yeah, collusion. <laughs> right. It was like yeah. Trump, he's targeting Black people because, you know, their distrust and, you know, the, the Russians are uh, fomenting uh, division with, you know, with these emails, these destructive emails and social media posts. Bro, it's exactly the, the cycle. It's the cycle. It's the cycle. But it wasn't coming from Russia. That's the problem. It was out in the open. It's still out in the open. Right. And, and then you and you have the black people thinking, well, if uh, if these are the you want to put the bad white people in the South and you have these outsiders coming in uh, offering you what you perceive to be better. Well, yeah, so, so basically sound like a better deal. So just to summarize before the civil rights movement, well before it. Our black brothers and sisters were sucked into a communist trap, which they seem to still be caught in. Only it goes by different names now. Well, it's 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 not the same, you know. We get we get sucked in, and then we'll fight our way out, and then they'll rebrand, and then we yeah. get sucked in again <laughs> from the newer generation, and then we'll fight our way out, and then we get sucked in again. It's, it's new, so it's like the. Thir- <laughs> This is the third uh, cycle of being sucked into a communist mindset. Yes. Wow. This is so good. I don't see, I don't uh, see why people go to school to learn this stuff. You could just listen to a podcast. <laughs> right. Oh, before I forget, what, what was the name yeah. of the guy who was really the, the speechwriter behind Martin Luther King who recently got a, a commendation from Congress? What's his name? The gay guy who who uh, got caught in a... Oh, Bayard Rustin. That's right. Okay. Because I was trying to tell somebody the other day. Oh, he's going he's gonna to make an appearance uh, in, in today's show. Oh, nice, so. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. Okay, good. Um, so we have, let's see, we stopped at 13. Okay, let's get right, right into 14. What was the Communist Party's message at that time? And why were these black folks so attracted to it? Well, there were three things they focused on. One, because it was during the Great Depression, their primary focus was the unemployed. And so their demands were... We want either work or some kind of support from the government. Uh, the second thing was in 1931, you had the famous Scottsboro case where nine young black men were arrested falsely for raping two white women and they end up going to jail. Well, these cases happen all the time where black men are falsely accused. The difference was that the Communist Party made the Scottsboro issue an international issue. They put it in their newspapers. Mm. They spread the word all over the globe in different languages. And these unknown figures suddenly became a kind of cause celeb. And finally, the third thing was basic civil rights. The right to vote, the right to sit on juries, you know, the right to not be Jim Crowed or segregated. These things certainly drew out black working people. Yeah. Fantastic. Made, that makes so much they, sense. They use the same taxes as they use today. The exploiting of criminal cases with propaganda all around the world and... For the gain of the, uh, the uh, co- for the gain for the Communist Party. Well, what they figured out, I guess, is that hey, we can do this trick with any marginalized group. Just tell people, hey, are you this? Yes. Are you that? Oh, we can do the same thing for you. That's the, that's what's happened is the expansion of that. Right, and and their reaction is so visceral to um, <clears throat> black racial issues. Yes, because you know it's it's Hegelian. <laughs> yeah, the black, that's right. The black against the white. You know, um, so. It feeds right into it. Um, 
So I ha- I found this interesting um, set of clips next, and this is Mr. Uh, Leonard Patterson, and he's a black man who exposes communism and explains why he was a communist. The Spoken Word Library presents I Trained in Moscow for Black Revolution, <laughs> a lecture by Leonard Patterson. Cool. Mr. Patterson joined the Communist Party in Philadelphia in 1928. He rose rapidly through the ranks, went to Moscow for advanced training along with such well-known party officials as Steve Nelson, Benjamin Gitlow, and Claude Lightfoot. In fact, while in Russia, he was the roommate of Gus Hall, later to become head of the Communist Party USA. Leonard Patterson was no small-time operator within the movement. He was a member of the National Committee and National Bureau of the Young Communist League, a member of the Central Committee of the Negro Commission, and chairman of the International Negro Commission of the Communist International. He organized and led picket lines, strikes, goon squads, and riots, all in accordance with orders from party headquarters. He was an active and effective communist propagandist, not only in the United States, but also in Russia and Germany as well. Mr. Patterson left the Communist Party when he finally realized it wasn't honestly interested in helping Negroes, that it was just using him and his people as cannon fodder Mm -hmm. to create hatred and violence, and that the goal of the communist movement was the enslavement of all peoples. Oh, man. And, and, and my mind is just wandering as I'm thinking about that. Do you think it's possible that later when J. Edgar Hoover uh, came up in the FBI and knowing that he was essentially a passing black man, that his mm-hmm. uh, his uh, that his search to root out communism was in any way related to suppressing his race? I can see, I can see it one of two ways. He can say, "Okay, I'll use communism as an excuse to suppress my race mm-hmm. to cover for myself passing, so no one will ever think to look at me that way." Right. Or I can see it being a so-called black man growing up in the South. Maybe he realized communism was a major problem and it wanted to destroy was, that. Ah. Right. I mean, because you can look at it both ways. I mean, you can look at it both ways because we yeah. can't get inside the man's head. No, but no, you but. can you can slice it both ways because really he was really on the heels of communism, and that there was a great overlap between that and the civil rights movement. Yes. So I, I I don't know. I um. But in this last clip, Leonard Patterson says he realized we were being used for cannon fodder. Yeah. I think this is a lot of what people are saying now and, and today is like Black Lives Matter is just using us as totally cannon fodder. Cannon fodder. And that, yes. And that, and even Patrice Cullors admitted to that, yeah. that black people, let me, let me get her correct in what she said. She said black cis men are not the sum of black people. So even though they use us as, you know, their, their motivation for what they're doing, they don't want to change things for us. And, and, let me, and let me just also let me, says, let me just reiterate yeah, that, go, Mo, because just want to make make sure it's understood. Uh, mm-hmm. Using black men uh, as the reason for this refers to just I don't know. Maybe it, should, it doesn't need explaining. It's black men that are being killed. It's black men that are being arrested. It's uh, it's all it's always a black man. So you know, and but yet you don't really get to be at the party. Yeah, it's just it's t- black men to shut up, shut up and get killed, yeah. or shut up and be muscle when we need you to be, or yeah. you know, it's it's always just be what you need 
what we need you to be. And that's that's the new um, new wave that they have going. And one last thing he said, he even mentioned himself, the enslavement of all people. This goes back right. to collectivism. Right. Uh, that he really realized, like, hold on, <laughs> we're headed back to slavery here. Yep. Um, Just working but for don't a different take, master. Don't take my word for it. We actually have clips from uh, Leonard Patterson uh, in 16. I am Leonard Patterson. When I was a young man, only 23 years old, I joined the Communist Party. I was a member of the National Executive Committee of the American Young Communist League. In 1930, I was the official Communist candidate for election to New York State Assembly. I knew Gus Hall and other top-ranking American communists very well because I trained with them at the Lenin University in Moscow. I joined the party because I honestly thought the communists were trying to help American Negroes. I broke away from the party when it became clear to me what the communists were really up to was to use the Negro people in this country in a violent and bloody revolution aimed at the establishment of the American Soviet dictatorship. It was that simple, and it is still that simple today. Make no mistake about it. What is happening in the United States right now under the banner of civil rights is exactly what has happened in China, in Cuba, in Algeria and many other places around the world. <laughs> We're like ringing bells. My head's exploding here. I was just looking at his Wikipedia page. It'll be in the show notes. Uh, mm-hmm. Wow, this guy is fantastic. What a what a great 1930s guy. Nineteen thirties. We're talking. Yeah. Holy crap. This is great. All his papers are at Howard University. Thought, I think this was a, a great example of one of the sharecroppers' mentality that. These communists are here to help us. But yeah. when you really understand uh, the ideology, it, it's, you're always going to be losers. It's, right. it's, al- it's always right. going to be losers in every system. And take take the man's word for it. It's not like he was, you know, I mean, we he- we're hearing it right from the uh, horse's mouth. Yeah. Um, so I think we talked about he would be considered the first wave in the recent events. The people on the ground, uh, getting it all riled up, bringing attention in, uh, using propaganda to draw attention to the, you know, a case like, um, oh, this like, would, this uh, would George be, Floyd. This would be black ink of the day getting, getting started. Starting right, but, up. but he's first wave. Yeah. He's first wave. Yes. He wouldn't be, the uh, the second wave, which is the pro- provocateur, no, 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 no. the he's, third wave he's, is the criminal element. He's the first wave. We'll call him the proxy, the proxy. Right. So let's listen to how they will operate then and even how similar it sounds to now. <laughs> when I was studying communist in Moscow, my instructors emphasized the importance of using honest grievances and popular slogans as a smokescreen to cover up the true nature of the revolution. We were taught how to use propaganda and arouse the emotion of the masses. We learned how to set one group against the other, 
and to make them hate each other. We learned the necessity of having martyrs, and we were even told how to create our own martyrs. If they did not imagine the result from the atmosphere of hatred, uh. we were taught the importance of getting large masses of people into the street for marches and demonstrations. And finally, we were instructed in ways to take off riots and make them spread and to keep them going. When I returned to the United States, I was immediately given practical training. I participated in so-called nonviolent demonstrations that were deliberately calculated to irritate white people and to violence against us. Wow. Here, uh, here's what he basically said. We uh, uh-huh. are trained Marxists. <laughs> wow. Wow, wow, wow. I love that. That's good. This so guy, what a gem. What a gem. What a gem. I hadn't heard of William L. Patterson. What a gem of a guy. He's written a lot of books. He said, use honest grievances and popular slogans. So, <laughs> check. <laughs> Bam. Um, Set one group against another with hatred. Check. And uh, how to kick off riots and get people to the streets. Check. Check. Wow. Sounds like the same playbook to me. Yeah, there is no step (laughs) four. Yeah. Oh, man, it's beautiful. So now we have to question ourselves, is this playbook uh, Hegelian or hegemony? And that you and the bubble around you are what Bardu calls the habitus. And the habitus provides us with a way to measure and gauge where you are in the network of culture. This network, in turn, which is made up of millions of little habitus bubbles, is the overall mechanism which decides the course of political, economic, and cultural action. For example, if the collective habitus of a particular group is fashioned appropriately, then you can predict how that group will act towards another group, say, by teaching one group to hate the word terrorist and then labeling another group terrorist, (laughs) you can now control how both groups will act. This is hegemony. (laughs) Yeah. And I said hegemony, excuse me, but this is a term used in cultural Marxism. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. So... It really is the Hegelian uh, dialectic, right? I mean, you uh, play one side against the other for a desired outcome. Yes, you have problem, Uh, reaction, solution. Correct. Uh, Let me get back to Mr. Leonard Patterson, and he's going to talk about being in the streets. In New York, about 1935, a Negro boy was reported killed by the owner of a store while in the act of stealing some merchandise. Communist Party headquarters decided to make a march out of the boy. So we went right to work, putting out handbills and holding open the air meetings. In less than a half hour after we started, there was a race ride on the street, complete with smashing wonders of white storekeepers, looting and all the rest. I'm not speaking of things I read about. These are things I personally participated in. We were taught how to use propaganda. How to rouse the emotion of the masses. We learn how to set one group against the other and to make them hate each other. We learn the effect of having martyrs and we're even told how to create our own martyrs if they didn't automatically result from the atmosphere of hatred. I love this. So they back then they were just sitting around waiting for something to happen. Boom, martyr that kid. Okay. Same yep. thing. All you have to be, you don't have Hand to leave bit. the house. You sit on the online, look at Twitter. 
Right, but they were using the same, same tactics, tactics because yeah. hand handbills are basically handouts. So instead of handouts, you have social media posts, right? Yeah. You're getting the people motivated. So same, same, the same exact tactics. I want to go back to hegemony right quick because there's one point I wanted to make. And this is not only with race. Oh, People no. have to be aware of when they're getting sucked in into a, a war. Yeah. Whether it's race, gender, or generational. Yeah. These are the three fronts that these wars are being fought on right now. We just, our, our show specifically speaks really to race and kind of gender, but even with the boule, I mean, you have the boomers and you have the uh, the uh, millennials. Well, you have the, that in, the, in the racial itself as well. There's I mean, also an, an overarching, and I think that's what's been done so expertly well throughout the, throughout time, is you just boil it down to red and blue. That and then all these groups fit in red, and all these groups fit in blue, and that's the yep. the meta con the, the 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 meta system up at top, which makes it a lot easier. And you can always break down and target your little groups underneath with their own little issue. Yeah, and then you can also divide it as we've seen here slice within one it. group. You can you can slice it oh, and dice man. it. This to is so use good. your terms of you can say, okay, now we got black against white. Let's turn the blacks against the blacks. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> so now you got the man against the woman, right? You got the boomer against the, the millennial. I mean, that's what you're hearing now. That's is, right. That's you, right. You hear a lot of the boomers saying, and it's, so it's the millennial saying, "Well, the boomers dropped the ball." So, uh, so really, identity politics is just a code word for Marxism. Correct. Yeah. And then it starts to splinter out into its own specific forms, as we talked about cultural Marxism. Yep. They're also a thing called black Marxism. Now, black Marxism appeared just as struggles against racial capitalism, war, and patriarchy were actually ramping up in, in the early 1980s. And the global economic slump of the 70s had opened the door for an expansion of neoliberal policies already being implemented in the global south. So the economic crisis also opened the door for privatizing public assets, for the devolution of the welfare state, for prison expansion, remaking tax codes to benefit the rich. And again, this is not a Republican strategy. This is, <laughs> you know, it's like every party, every, every ruling party in the United States from the 1970s on consistently supported neoliberal policies. And in fact, the triumph of racial liberalism, could be said, helped usher in the rise of mass incarceration incarceration and the deepening um, uh, criminalization of urban space in the post-World War II period. Now, we know now, right, that liberals also back an expanding criminal justice system, you know, ostensibly to protect African Americans from mob violence, but and to address what was perceived to be rising crime rates following desegregation. But as a consequence, liberals, not just conservatives, helped create the, the criminal justice architecture that fueled mass incarceration. Um, this is the world that young activists uh, inherit, the ones that we're dealing with today, they inherit this world. Wow. I've heard you may mention before, in like in the 1980s, the Democratic Party became more of a party for business as well. Maybe not the big businesses. <clears throat> uh, I would but, say the 90s with the Clintons. The Clintons oh, decided to fundraise uh, instead of from unions necessarily, um, really went they, were doing, they went all corporatist and that of course is when china mm-hmm. also came into play another fine 
Marxist slash communist partner in this whole game, who's already been mentioned in an earlier clip. (laughs) (laughs) So I think this is where the special brand of Marxism called black Marxism had to come about because you start seeing this beef between uh, the far left and liberals, right? Which is right of the far left. Yeah. Um, they wanted to be more co- become more corporate focused uh, party, and now they're having to come back around. That's mm-hmm. why you see a Joe Biden that was in the seventies, eighties that went away from compassion and rehabilitation to lock lock them up. You know, yeah. <laughs> I don't care how they got there. You Bring know, them to kind heal. Of thing. Bring them to heal. Right now they've been bent to the will of the Marxists, saying, "No, no, 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 no." You still need us. Don't don't ever get it twisted. Right. You and can't I, do it without us. And and here's how we do it. Watch this. Right. And the corporations are activating the 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 Marxists. Yeah. I, I want to make this point clear. That is so this beautiful. Is, this, the capitalist corporations are activating and actively funding the Marxists. Yes. This is genius. <laughs> because, this is so smart. Because this is corporate warfare. Even though it's fought on the streets. It's corporate warfare because what represent capitalism? White men, specifically old white men. So if you can get old white men to be shamed and removed from the boards of directors, you can get money. You can you can you can load them up. Yeah, you can load up the board of directors with whoever you want to be seen as not. Wow, that is something Kanye said yesterday during his rally. And I didn't even hear it. <laughs> yeah, he said, I'm on, not on the board of the Gap. I'm not on the board of Puma. We're changing that. That's got to happen now, right now. That's what he said yesterday. Huh. Right. Interesting. So this is, we're witnessing a, I think this is the response, not to get too far ahead of myself. You know, we're in a trade war right now. Yeah. I think this is the response to the trade war, but instead of being fought in the boardrooms and negotiating rooms, they're fighting on the streets of America. Wow. <laughs> yes. I know that maybe sound a far fetched, but but that's that's what I truly believe. I, I got to get my head around that, but I I like it. But there's, yeah, that's very interesting. Okay, I right. I, I got to think about that one. That's a good one, Mo. Yeah, to, keep that in think, mind. Yeah. Think about it. But um, I, we'll get to another uh expert on the topic of black Marxism. This is uh, Bill Fletcher Jr. And he's also a professor as well. Particularly, for example, on the issue of race and what has been always called the national and colonial questions, you had, I believe, a profound influence on Marxism from Africa, from Latin America, and from Asia. What, What has always irritated me in the black freedom movement is that whenever I encounter someone who says... Well, Marxism is a white man's theory. And and that's like absurd. Because when you look at the contributions that have been made to Marxism by people of African descent, it's just simply amazing. I look at Marxism as a theory of emancipation. It is a, it is a, hmm. a, a framework for analyzing history, analyzing society, and a, a method of thinking. Now, one of the problems that we faced was the rise of postmodernism, which I would argue is a, has been a cancer in the left um, and has taken people, beginning with, in some ways, accurate critiques of economic determinism in Marxism, 
it then has taken people in this direction of almost romanticizing defeat. <laughs> wow. So, wow. So one point he made was white Marxism is seen to be uh, a white man's theory. Yeah. Uh, but he, in, in black Marxism, they want to say that, no, 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 no. Plenty of black people have, quote unquote, black people have contributed to Marxism mm-hmm. and we need our credit. Another tenet of black Marxism is that the white uh, workers can't relate to the grievances that the black workers have. Different grievances. Just because of their sheer... Mm-hmm. But just called their of their sheer whiteness, right? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Yes, ident- <laughs> there's no. You're yeah. not, you can't do that. It's impossible. Yes. Yeah, you can't identify with my struggle, right? Because it's it's different. Sure. So that's why you have this uh, separation, even within Marxism of Black Marxism. Mm. It's this whole. It's this whole thing. It's a whole separate thing. I just want to make people but, understand right, but that, it, but it doesn't it doesn't really differ other than uh, it's. It's the same basic ideology, just with different issues at hand. It's just the Hegelian dividing. Yes, it's a division it of the sell. division, of course. Of course, so we can, <laughs> if we ever need to, we can pit these two against each other inside our own house. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, and that's what you have now. And then like, you control you know, them. Even- oh, okay, of course. Now I understand. So you then you have two parties. You can control them both because you know the outcome, and therefore you control the whole bit because it's all yours to start with. Right, because you have Black Lives Matter or Black Ink. Let's say that you have Black Ink dragging the and, white and, left yes. even farther left, and we're already <laughs> and we're already seeing this on the streets where there's confusion and it's being played against each other. Oh, this is mm-hmm. great. This is very very yeah. good. Oh, so good. we have to all understand all the players in in the game. Um, now, so I first mentioned about the straight, the cisgendered black male. Yeah, and we've seen a so-called member of Black Lives Matter rise up named Hawk Newsom. Have you seen Hawk Newsom before, Adam? No, I don't think so. Where would I have seen him? Okay, Hawk Newsom, he, he, you've seen him, uh, I, I was assumed, but you probably just didn't recognize him. Tall black guy, wears black shades, bald head, and the funny thing is, he kind of looks like Hawk from uh, Spencer for Hire, which, which... Oh, really now? Which we, we just talked about. We spoke about him about. on the last... Yeah. We spoke about him on the last show. When I looked at him again, I was like, hold on. He is almost the, the you know, this exact oh, likeness. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I've seen this guy. I know who he is. I'm looking at him now. Hawk Newsom. Okay, right. yes, I got it. I know who he is. His name's about. Hawk. The other guy, the guy's name, Hawk. I, 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 just that's, it, maybe. that's some programming right there, huh? I, I would think so. But let's get into the clip of uh, Hawk Newsom on reforming law enforcement in the black community. Protesters in American streets are calling for the country to address our racial tensions, both current inequities and contentious symbols of America's past. But how to do that is a key question. For one perspective, let's begin with Hawk Newsom, head of Black Lives Matter, Greater New York. Mr. Newsom, you created quite a stir this week when you spoke with my colleague Martha McCallum. Let's take a look at what you said. If this country doesn't give us what we want, then we will burn down this system and replace it. All right. And I could be speaking uh, figuratively. I could be speaking literally. It's a matter of interpretation. 
Afterward, President Trump tweeted his reaction to your statement. This is treason, sedition, insurrection. Question, sir, what do you accomplish with rhetoric like that? How do you think that helps? Well, here's the thing. A lot of people don't understand how the streets or the people feel. I have an in-depth knowledge of this. I live in the Bronx. I live amongst the people. So it's not like I'm sitting here pushing a button or anyone can push that button. But if people keep seeing these images of their babies, of their relatives, of, of, of black people being killed, they keep dealing with financial inequality and inequity, and it reaches a point of frustration, then people lash out. This is a matter of inevitability that people will lash out because they're feeling Feeling like they're backed into a corner. Okay, yes, I remember this quote. I remember seeing it, thinking, huh, got to look into that, and something else happened. But from, yeah. his, from his Wikipedia page, so the Hawk similar, similarity uh, mm-hmm. uh, doesn't end there. As a cast member on Cop Watch America, so he, uh, which, but, he played which a basically cop. used the, no, he played the, uh, it was actually a, reality type series oh. where they did what the black like what they did what the black panthers did they would basically go out and record cops oh interacting <laughs> but now but here but here we have um a statement from <laughs> go ahead <laughs> uh from the managing director of black lives matter global network so that is black inc says Hank Newsom has no relation to the black lives matter global network founded by Patrice Cullors Alicia Garza and Opal Tometi and is not the president of BLM or any of its chapters. So he's he's fake he's fake black ink. Yeah. And they use this as an opportunity to demonize him and then and Oh, and he he goes in and says, We're gonna burn it down, we're horrible. Right. But that's mm. bad for business because yes. they're in the same position that Rosa Parks has to be in. Of we can't be close to the violence, you know. We yeah, have to stay no nonviolent course, because course. It's, it's bad for the brand. Right. That's why uh, we didn't see him anymore. He's gone. He's gone. He's gone. I haven't seen him yes. since. Actually, this was done on Fox News, so that was the only place you could find that that would even bring him on to make let him clarify his statement. And don't un- think don't, real- don't underestimate that as a coincidence. Oh, it's not. I mean, yeah. he's a knockoff. He's yeah. a knockoff of uh, Black Lives Matter. So they're like, nah, we only want the real McCoy. Uh, yeah. But yeah. Fox News are, are using them because <laughs> they, can, <laughs> they, can, they can use them to, to spin their narrative, right? And Which was horrible because he, he spun the wrong narrative. So I'm just saying that groups everywhere. It's a two for one. You get to call them out as fake, fake black ink. And then they also could demonize the cis black male as being violent. Yes fantastic what a great great decoy and he's gone he's he's they probably locked him in the freezer out of here so i guess we can get into uh 2.1 with mr newsom but just two years ago back in 2018 you gave a ted talk in which you preached nonviolence and talked about how during the riots in baltimore over the death of freddie gray you tried to stop the violence i want to play a clip of you from just two years ago Do you have love in your hearts? Do you love your neighbor? Do you believe in the Bible, the Quran? Do you believe in your religious teachings? Because I guarantee you, all of them tell you to help your neighbor. That man wouldn't have talked about 
working to burn down the system. What happened? <laughs> uh, let me tell you, let me tell you what happened. <laughs> let me let me answer that one for Mr. Hawk Newsom. Um, one, this guy after the whole. First round, 2015, 2016, he started meeting with Trump supporters and he was on stage and doing TED Talks and yeah, taking the middle of the road yeah, stance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah. then after uh, George Floyd, he was radicalized. Yeah. He, <laughs> new gig, he was radicalized. new gig, new script. All right, let's go. And we saw this same radicalizations with Nick Cannon, which we're going to save uh, for a later date to talk about on this show. But can we get a uh, cancellation cannon, uh, cancel cannon for Nick Cannon, please? You got it. <laughs> and canceled he is. Yeah, he's out of here. Yeah. Um, what happens here is when they start to radicalize people with this media coverage, it gives black people a false sense of security that they can open up and tell you everything that's on their mind without any repercussions. Uh, repercussions right this is what happened to hulk he the got got the, the the feeling got good to him he's like yeah we'll burn it down <laughs> and they was like no yeah, no 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 no, no. We, that's we, not we, gonna work no you went too far on that one hulk and they got him up out of here um, that's, that's so interesting because I, I i was looking at the it's a tedx so you know not really a ted talk but a tedx it's, right it's, build is the same um 2018 and is there he's local chapter black lives matter so i'm sure he was in the group i mean you're totally right he was definitely he may have still only been claiming at the time but they cut him off real quick after that burning down stuff yeah they let him speak on their behalf because he kind of was good for it good for the movement he he feel that gap they need to like where's your black male leadership in he's like oh yeah yeah. but he wasn't really affiliated so they could easily cut ties with them anytime they want to right um now we're gonna see uh, who's this guy speaking for fox i, I lost his name um uh I wallace i think it's chris wallace uh, okay chris wallace now chris wallace is going to use a very familiar tactic that i've talked about on this show it's called the mlk trigger <laughs> there has been a split in the in the civil rights movement the african-american community for at least a half a century now between Malcolm X and by any means necessary on the one hand and Martin Luther King and working through the system on the other. Didn't MLK get a lot more done in a practical sense? I believe that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was a brilliant uh, strategist, especially in the form of media savvy. But what we have to understand is black people do not trust politicians. They don't trust black. They don't trust Democrats. They don't trust Republicans. Black people also have a problem with the government overstepping its bounds. The biggest manifestation of that is policing. So if you want to make government smaller, then you address police on that scale. If you talk about the rift in the civil rights movement, um, our elders, a lot of them have been bought off by the Democratic establishment, right? And they pretty much go with the flow of the Democratic establishment. <laughs> wow. All right. <laughs> Way to get well. He's speaking some truth there. He is. And, yep. and, and that's what probably got him more counseled than the burn it down <laughs> statement. Yeah. That's, not, that's not really the talking point, Hawk. 
Right, because at the end of the day, the goal is to get black people out and vote. And so yeah. you can't be out here saying all the Democrats uh, no, that's wrong. were bought that's wrong. off. And, no, wrong, wrong, and wrong. I think when he's talking about the Democratic elders being bought off by, Dem- um, by the black elders being bought off by Democrats, he's referring to Malcolm X comments about Martin Luther King ah. and he, him being and him being bought off by the uh, the, the liberals. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is the trigger I'm talking about. Well, isn't isn't it more? You know, MLK got more done. You know, you don't want to <laughs> arm yourself and protect he yourself. Was peaceful. Now, you? He was peaceful. <laughs> I hope people are seeing now how the trigger is. Le- this is why MLK, the product, can never go away. And this is why they'll protect him to the end of his communist socialist affiliations because he's way more valuable. Yeah, no <laughs> to kidding. Controlling black people, uh, how they pitted MLK against uh, Malcolm X to say, "Oh, you know, MLK was so much." Don't you just want a cup of coffee at the Woolworths uh, <laughs> uh, counter? You don't want a gun, do you? You yeah. don't want a gun to protect yourself. Yeah. Uh, this this is what I'm talking about. This is the MLK. I haven't I found haven't found a greater. An example of them using the trigger to make black people docile than this. <laughs> exactly. Well, you asked for it, uh, Mr. Curry, and to speak to the uh, arm black people arming themselves and compare MLK to Malcolm X. Let's listen to a throwback clip from Forty Three uh, with Rustin and MLK. Ah, my my man Rustin. Here we go. What do you want? I'm here to see Dr. King. Nelson, who is it? Good evening, Mrs. King. Bayard Rustin. Bayard Rustin. Excuse me. Well, if Bayard Rustin is here, then I guess we've arrived. (laughs) Dr. King. You're going to be blunt. You're straying from the principles of nonviolence. In what way? You're the leader of a nonviolent movement. And yet you have guns in your home and these armed guards outside. Let me ask you something, Mr. Rustin. Would you risk your family for a tactic? Nonviolence is not a tactic. Would you risk your family? Nonviolence is an ideology. I have it's an obligation way to protect my family and defend religion. my own. Well, the guns don't make me feel any safer. <laughs> Oh, that's great. Oh, um, yeah, so there he is. That that was the the real uh, the real power came in with Rustin. Hey, you heard what MLK? This, of course, this is from a movie called Boycott, but it's a um, biographical pick, uh, so it should be accurate. And of course, readings, um, re- th- things I read support this notion. But I want to point out to people: you see the LGBT. Yes. And the women yes. teaming up again. Now, MLK is the leader of this uh, by the narrative. He's a leader of this whole civil rights movement. And they're questioning his tactics and his 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 decision making. It's like, oh well, I don't, how does a gun not make you feel safer? I don't that that I don't know how to get my head around that one. Uh, right, but we got have to say that Bayard Rustin was a clear and open communist. Well, uh, not, well, not so, not only that, but and mm-hmm. and this is why I, I brought it up earlier. Uh, but also, uh, well, at the time, every uh, every LGBTQIAPK plus had to be kind of uh, quiet about it, and he wasn't that quiet about it. Now, in two, oh no, in two thousand, uh, I think it was thirteen, Obama 
uh, honored uh, Baird Rustin posthumously. Was it posthumously? Surprise, I guess. Surprise, surprise. Well, but <laughs> it was with the uh, Presidential Medal of Freedom. But in 2019, Congress awarded him uh, for, well, here's the headline, honoring an unsung LGBTQ hero. So Baird Rustin also got um, honored for his uh, sexuality posthumously. Mm-hmm. Just recently, though, which I thought was kind of interesting. Well, they're probably trying to bring him back to the forefront as yeah. another control mechanism. Yes. So, I mean, they have to. These are their heroes. And he's perfect. He's perfect as the, the you know, to use just like for African-Americans. Now we can use it with LGBTQ because he was actually the guy side by side. Beautiful. Oh, well, leading, well, you're going to come as the, we move through, you know, the future. You're going to be hearing more and more. Well, he led King. Yep, there you go. Because you, you're going to, you're going to have the, there the you planning go. of the cisgender male. <laughs> it's like, oh, he was nothing without Bayard leading him. And then that's where we're headed. <laughs> you're so right, sadly. Can I get a trigger warning, please, if you can dig it up? Because this next, <laughs> this next set of clips might trigger somebody out there. Trigger warning. Trigger warning. All right, here it is, ladies and gentlemen. This is bad. Yes. Trigger warning has been activated. (laughs) I had to play this because of who speaks next in these next of the clips. Uh, We have Gavin Gavin McInnes. Oh, okay. Uh, (laughs) Even you said, oh, a member of the Proud Boys. I understand the the trigger warning now. Yes, gotcha. Proud Boys. Mm -hmm. A member member of the Proud Boys and suspected races. Um... But he speaks on Black Lives Matters and them having daddy issues. So why do the two lesbians who started Black Lives Matter, why do they love him so much? Because they hate their dads, too. Now, I'm going to be sort of jumping all over the place here. But before I get to them, let me just explain daddy issues. I think we all know what they are. But it's a natural thing. I have it. We've been getting better over time, right? 45 degree angle. And so inevitably, most of us are looking into a father who busted his ass, worked way harder than we did. My dad's been in thousands of fights. I've been in like 15. And as a young man, I would look into his eyes and see disappointment. I hadn't accomplished anything. I wore a communism pin. I told him he didn't know about the working man. Fuck you, dad. That's what these riots are. That's what you're seeing on the street now. They're pulling down the statues and people go, "That's a, that was an abolitionist. They don't give a shit about what the statue is. They give a shit about patriarchy, masculinity, legacy, because they know they won't have one and they know their dad did and they're pissed off about it. So what do you do when someone makes you feel like a loser, makes you feel disappointing? You trivialize them. Oh, I'm shocked, shocked a black man like you, Mo, would even play a clip from this horrible, racist, misogynist a-hole. And my retort to that is, pay attention to everything, and the truth will reveal itself. <laughs> That's right. It's usually when, you, when something is being excoriated uh, in the mainstream, it's always worth a listen. You know, what do you got to lose? You might learn something. You can learn anything for anybody. Either it's what to do or what not to do. That's so right. I don't. I don't blind myself or deafen myself to voices just because they're not acceptable. Okay, boomer. It's society. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So he digs up a little piece of uh, information that has been scrubbed from the internet uh, about Black Lives Matter in this next clip. 
Black Lives Matter has been hiding this because the people are, are catching on. But they said that they are a they are for radical social intervention. Um, they also said, I don't know if I included this. Yeah, they've removed this from their site, but you can find it on Wayback. We are committed to disrupting the Western prescribed nuclear family structure requirement by supporting each other as extended families and villages. What happens when your dad kicks you out? You say, no, this is my family. And what happens uh, when you feel insecure about that and wonder if it's as good as having a dad? You enforce it and you say, no, let's destroy the family, destroy the father. So no one can kick me out of my house for being a black lesbian teen. This is all totally selfish. Um, they collectively care for one another, especially our children, the degree that mothers, parents and children are comfortable. Yep. Mothers, parents and children. Yep. I'm going to say it again. Mothers. Mothers, <laughs> parents, and children. I didn't hit, doesn't have to be a man in that. No, disrupting the Western family structure, a.k.a. male leadership. Is, uh, that's their be, goal. That's key. Yeah, that's key. That's whenever I hear this, that's even, well, I wouldn't even say even, but uh, Robin D'Angelo talks about the, the heteronormative uh, patriarchy that is a, a big part of the problem. And she had a lot of problems with her father and family growing up. And as I stay on this show, you know, almost to, you know, a fault, it starts with us. <laughs> it starts with us. Right. It, it's coming for you next. Who fill in the blank, whoever it is. Yeah. It starts with black people or quote unquote, uh, so-called black people. But it, it's just a test run. It's just a beta run. It's yeah. like, oh yeah, we could take the family out, to, take the father out the home. And we were successful at that. All right, let's take the fathers out of society, period. Wow, man. We'll be like the Uyghurs. Which we have to talk about them on another show. I, <laughs> I, I, I can't do it. I can't do this with you, Adam. I, I can't. It's like. It's like rabbit hole at the rabbit hole at the rabbit hole. I'm like, Jesus Christ. I know. I cannot come up. I dig, <laughs> I, dig, I dig a lot of holes. And then I'd look at it and go, mm, I'm going to toss this to Mo. <laughs> right. And it's like, God. It's, um, yeah, it's bad. I know. I'll, 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 I'll tease here, which I know you hate and some people love. Uh, Uyghurs and weave. That'll be a coming topic. Um, but, uh, <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> so, but since you brought me to China, I, I mean, I, hold uh, on, hold on. I believe I'm excited to hear that in the future. <laughs> <laughs> um, since you took me here, I mean, you added me right to uh, China. I'll yep. oop it on in with uh, what is the cultural re revolution? To those of us who have never been through it, China's cultural revolution is just a social political movement that took place in China from 1966 to 1976. To many of those who have lived through it, it was probably the worst nightmare of their lives. On the surface, it was to remove all capitalistic elements from China and to remove all traditional and cultural elements from Chinese society. But what this movement really was, was Mao Zedong's selfish attempt to get rid of his rivals in government and to revive his image to the Chinese people after it was soiled due to his campaign called the Great Leap Forward. Now that campaign ended up creating the largest famine in human history and killing somewhere between 18 and 43 million people. Is this, I think this is from that, that guy who did the entire Chinese history in 30 minutes on YouTube. 
What Auntie Don Chimes? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's it. That's great. It's fan. It's, yeah. Everyone should watch that. It's really good. As he just said, they started trying to remove capitalism and then all of history. What are we seeing? What are we seeing now in the streets? Yeah, well, they removed it more imperialism, wasn't it? Not capital imperialism. No, they said he said capital. He they wanted to remove all capitalism. Oh, right. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So well, they of course, were, of course, we're seeing the exact same thing. Absolutely. So it it makes you question. Only question: Where is the source of this coming from? All this kicked up right after the uh, China took a major L in the trade war to Trump. Oh yeah. No. <laughs> now it also all happens in an election year, so there are. Lots of agendas that have confluence uh, yeah, and yeah, come yeah. together, of course. Right. But we know we speculate who controls the media. And we had wall to wall coverage all the way down to Sesame Street covering oh, this situation. Oh, oh no, so. well, no, 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 of course. I mean, the mainstream media appears to be controlled by China directly or indirectly, certainly mm-hmm. indirectly with uh, the pharmaceutical industry, which China certainly controls uh, with advertising. Mm hmm. And and uh, to add to that, we've had uh, the director of the FBI, the attorney general, and the secretary of state, and of course, the president all go on a massive offensive in the past week alone about China, what they're doing, where they've infiltrated, calling out collaborators such as Apple, Microsoft, Cisco, Yahoo, etc., and not a peep on the mainstream media. So yes, absolutely. Well, I'll help people to just listen out in this next clip for the parallels that went on with the Cultural Revolution and what's going on now. Now, the Cultural Revolution started off with a campaign to cast away the four O's. The four O's are old ideas, old culture, old customs, and old habits. Basically, this manifested in old books and art being destroyed, museums ransacked, and streets renamed with new revolutionary names, and adorned with pictures and sayings of Mao Zedong everywhere. Mao Zedong wanted to eradicate religion first and foremost because without a belief system, the Chinese people are more easily swayed to believe basically whatever he tells them. Many famous temples, really old traditional shrines, and other historical heritage sites were destroyed. Today, when you go to China, most of the temples and the old historic sites that you see were actually recreated because most of them were all destroyed during the Cultural Revolution or the period before that. Do you see the parallels here? Renaming streets, Black Lives Plaza. Uh, do you see destruction? <laughs> destroying of uh history now it just it was under the guise of taking down uh confederate uh statues which i have no issue with taking them down i said i stated previous before i mean previously that i have no issue with taking them down i have an issue with the manner in which they're being taken down well of course it's not a democratic process it's stupid it's it's, it's vandalism but what happens is it snowballed to all of history's and they call it the four olds, right? You know, yep. they want to get rid of. Yep. Um, yep. I think America's going through the one old, old white men. If you get rid of old white men, <laughs> everything will work. Every- It'll be fixed. <laughs> yeah, because the black men won't emulate the old white men, and then they'll fall in line, and it, you, you solve all your problems that way. Um, <laughs> Just you were uh, in in regard to the Great Leap Forward. Mm-hmm. And China, this is uh, what Apple CEO Tim Cook said uh, just recently in regards to Black Lives Matter. So it is today. We're at an important moment in our history. 
a time when progress, which has been far too slow, feels suddenly poised to move forward in a great leap. Each of us has a role to play in making sure we rise to the occasion. I mean, now the, Tim Cook might as well just work for the Chinese Communist Party. He certainly has a very deep relationship with Apple, has a very deep relationship with him. When he, he, those words are not used by accident. At all. And the problem with the Cultural Revolution was, was bad actors. There was no clear definition of a bad actor. It was just uh, kind of like now. Right. Uh, you can just get called and canceled for anything. Uh, right. This person said this 10 years ago. And then, you know, you, that's why you have a lot of people coming out and apologizing, you know, uh, preemptively. It's like, I'm sorry. I don't yeah. know. I don't know what I did, <laughs> but I'm sorry I did it. Uh, <laughs> yes. And uh, and here's my hundred million dollar fund. Whatever you do, don't look over here, please. We didn't well, do got, anything. <laughs> That's the brand. You get the logo, right? You get yeah. the black ink stamp and it's like, oh, we're good. I have a I have a black ink pass. Uh, I, I, I'm be above canceling. Hey, uh, we should create those as a premium for donors. What black ink passes? Yeah, <laughs> oh. <laughs> special pass. Yeah, why not? <laughs> we we can make our own black ink pass. Let me see that right. domain name. I can get. I'm, I'm sure. <laughs> was it was it a punch card? Though? We need to make it like a punch card. So like, <laughs> no barcode. Barcode will be fine. Don't worry. Barcode will work. No, I'm just saying for every transgression, you get the get punched off. It's like okay, all okay. right. So that, that <laughs> like way they had to renew. Card. Yeah, you got to. Yeah, you had to renew. Get you run card. out of uh... we got out of punches. It's like a, it's like right. a ski lift pass. Okay, yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, that's uh, beautiful. So, um, I think it's a good point. You know, we talk about value. And I found this next clip. And all, oftentimes, people want to say, how do I tell people about the show? What is MoFax with Adam Curry? What, 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 how do I tell what you guys what you talk about? Well, this next clip, Adam, I think it describes us and what we do to a T. And it's from one of your favorite people. First, the white man and the black man have to be able to sit down at the same table. The white man has to feel free to speak his mind without hurting the feelings of that Negro. And the so-called Negro has to feel free to speak his mind without hurting the feelings of the white man. Then they can bring the issues that are under the rug out on top of the table and take an intelligent approach to get the problem solved. That's the only way that they'll ever do it. Wow, that's fantastic. <laughs> But wait, now Doesn't wait. that sum? <laughs> oh my! That sums it up. And if only we had known this much earlier. <laughs> How old is this clip? Well, this is what from like sixty something. Yes, yeah, 60, 63, 64, I want to say. I, 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 it was in a compilation of Malcolm X clips. I mean, I was going through it, uh, looking for something else, and that just—I was like, "Holy crap!" That explains exactly what we're doing. I'm coming to the table. You're coming to the table. We put a fence to the side. Yeah. And we get right to the problems. And apparently we're going to save the world. I love this. It's a tough job, ladies <laughs> and gentlemen. We've taken upon ourselves, but we couldn't do it without you. And this is what Mo was talking about with value for value. And actually, this is where I want to just slip in the idea of, uh, you know, we have uh, capitalism. You've got uh, communism or Marxism. In the media landscape, I think we're seeing a, I call it tribalism or media tribalism, but it really mm-hmm. is a form of an economy that has, um, that has shown that you don't, even if you, if you have talent and you want to do something, you don't have to be a part of the system. This is what's changed and why these systems don't work the same anymore or are vulnerable 
because we've created models like the value for value model, which means Mm -hmm. we don't need to have massive scale. We just need to be supported by our tribe, by our community. And that's exactly what is happening with MoFax with Adam Curry, as we have uh, assigned everybody the role of producership. And without a doubt, uh, Mo, you give me way too much credit, but a lot of the a lot of the rabbit holes I fall into and then uh, (laughs) slide over to your side. uh, Of course, they come from producers, people who are interactively involved in the programming of this podcast and the only way we can do it and, uh, and and sustain it is with support and financial support. And we love people who do that. Uh, they are uh, often our executive or associate executive producers, but everyone is a producer who helps out in any way you can. But we are very appreciative of the support that we receive. Now, this is really for uh, the past two weeks. So it's a little bit longer, but the support is overwhelming. And uh, it's just fantastic to read all of these notes, which we're going to share now. And we start with Joe Travis, uh, who supports the show with $500, which is uh, fan- really appreciated and incredibly nice. And here's what he says. Mo, how you doing? Just want to let you know, I'm not racist. <laughs> I even had a black friend 30 years ago in college. <laughs> yes, this is, a, this is a new fun donation note I've noticed. Uh, seriously, though, he says... Uh, you and Adam are doing a fantastic job. I've learned a lot, and the podcast has really made me think. I got my college-age son into No Agenda about two years ago, and I'm getting him started on MoFax now. It's immunized him against the liberal indoctrination at school. Yes. Uh, and uh, thank you, Joe, as he says thanks yeah, again. Thanks, thanks, Joe. That's very cool. That's, a, that's another thing that's happening um, right now is you know with these school closures and kids being threatened to be on Zoom for five hours a day. Parents are now creating pods of homeschooling and they're hiring teachers to come in to, you know, like they got maybe six or eight kids. It's, you know, it's ingenuity is fantastic. And so I, I can see hopefully a different curriculum, maybe even appearing from uh, this uh, Malcolm X approved podcast. <laughs> it's right there. He said it right there. It's, it's he, in he the clip. It. He, he said, said it right it. there. Yeah. I don't I don't care what you say. <laughs> uh, Kane Butler comes in right after Joe with $300 and says, this is only a fraction of the value we have received from listening to dozens of your episodes since, disco- since first discovering Ma- uh, MoFax in May. We'd like to contribute to the uh, GBG jar, the Give Blacks Guns. Can we get some Mo Karma for our country right now? Well, of course we got some of that for you. You've got Mocom. I <laughs> uh, would be interested to hear your perspective on Rhodesia slash Zimbabwe as well as China's involvement. Well, we, t- we touched on China today. <laughs> Remember, weapon safety rules and rock out with your Glock out. Thank you, Kane. Uh, and uh, so both uh, Joe and Kane are uh, obviously, for obvious reasons, they are executive producers. Uh, as is Sir H from San Francisco, $200 says, In the morning, I just caught up with all the episodes, and this is $5 per episode. I wish I could pay a lot more, but everyone at my company got a 20% pay cut thanks to the Lona. <laughs> Maybe he meant Rona, but says Lona. Uh, at the end will be greatly appreciated. Uh, Aichi Kitagawa, Sir H from San Francisco. We can give you a Wusa right now, man. I'd be happy to do that. Wusa. Amy Ekman comes after Sir H with $200 as well and says, as an avid listener of No Agenda, I discovered MoFax. I love it. I've learned so much from about our country's cultural history that has been lost or rewritten or hidden, I would add. Thanks to you two gentlemen, I am Mo Woke. 
Now there's a t-shirt. So so many premiums for the show. Keep up the great work, Amy from Healdsburg, California. And I did want to say that just before we started recording today, I finalized the archive page. Archive.mofax.com has every single episode, uh, almost every single show notes page. We didn't do show notes early in the show like we're doing them now with the clips, etc. But uh, you go to archive.mofax.com and you can uh, get everything going back to episode one. And it's not a bad idea to start with episode one to follow the entire journey. Eric Halbritter, uh, $143, and he says, I say GD, which maybe means good day. Great content. A hundo for the effort, 43 for the next episode. The comment about less than 20% black does not a BLM protest make really resonated. Some white, woke, privileged family has been lecturing me and the missus about our place i'm an old white guy missus is mixed japanese american so appreciative of sharing these conversations and viewpoints bonus i'm all for armed everyone thankful for the same nuanced conversation in the morning thank you for your courage love and light sir eric's naked and thank you very much eric it is appreciated mad mike of the traveling spaders 126 43 uh, Mo, been listening for a few weeks, came from a Rogan, no agenda, Mo Facts. <laughs> this, this is part of the tribal media concept. There's overlap, and we fly so, between so Ro, all this. Ronamo. Ro, Ro it's Ronamo, exactly. Oh, my Ronamo. Ronamo. Oh, man, I gotta write that down. <laughs> Ronamo. This is very Ronamo. Holy crap. That's a good one. Uh, GBG, Give Blacks Guns, is spot on. Best episode yet. You've really made an impression and gotten a reformed conservative libertarian to open up his older eyes. Appreciate your view. I can see my perspectives adjusting themselves, spreading the word, but folks have to wait to find the truth. It's true. Unfortunately, most are uncomfortable stepping outside their bubbles, but still passing the word. Adam, you're not awful. (laughs) Hey, the white guy gets a a compliment there. Excellent. (laughs) Then we go to Century City View. Uh, with a rather long note, uh, one, two, three, four, five, one of our uh, favorite uh, donation amounts. And let's see what he says here. Dear Mo and Adam, I enjoyed your episode on Tupac. I wrote two books on the murders of Tupac and Biggie with former LAPD detective Russell Poole. Uh, He was the lead detective on the cases. He was also the whistleblower that gave us the Rampart scandal. Oh, wow. Police were involved in the murders and police were and still are involved in the cover-ups. Russell and I, second generation, a second year investigation, in our second year investigation, detailed in Chaos Merchants, documented and footnoted every fact. This was a work in process at the time of Russell Poole's death in a meeting with the sheriffs attempting to get the murders reopened and solved holy crap this is very interesting and uh what so is that the name of the book it it, it is it is very interesting just consider this topic I, i've uh, i've always on it you know one of my favorite things to research and discuss uh prior to getting involved in all these investigations i made a documentary about the mexican cartels called american federale after the books are written i made a documentary on suge knight and then one on the murders called Battle for Compton. I made the trip to Minnesota while the buildings were burning in the aftermath of the George Floyd murder. I got to see an intelligence operation unfold in real time. During our protest, during our protest march documented in the film The People Have the Power, a federal agent magically appeared to lead us into the freeway between police where we were surrounded on all sides. We were suckered into this march by a crisis actor that told us, White supremacists were shooting protesters. 
I would like to know if anyone recognizes this actor. You can see him in this film. I believe he's either police officer or military. The entire day was very strange. Wow, that's uh, quite a quite a lot of info there. Um, and uh, certainly, if we hear anything, we'll uh, we'll send it on to you or bring it up. And thank you for supporting. Uh, and I will say, I might be reaching out to him for my highly anticipated hip hop episode or series because I, I I got some questions for him. Very nice. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Excellent. Excellent. Um, now we go to um, KR mm-hmm. with 101. Uh, blackmail professional scientist and software engineer, unaffiliated political moderate, currently in California, but from Georgia, North Carolina. Last month, I had job interviews with two of the biggest policy think tanks in D.C., Heritage and AEI. I hope to be able to influence them to design fact-based, nonpartisan policies for the federal government and presidents. Hopefully, they'll hire me. Heritage is highly influential, indeed. They told Trump who to hire when he entered the White House. Plus, being in D.C. during this election should be entertaining. Well, K.R., that is, first of all, great to hear that. Uh, We would like to have Mofax with Adam Curry entered into the uh, uh, Congressional Library uh, as a fact-based history of the country. And uh, anything else you need us to do, we'll help out with. That's One thing, can you give him a Mo Karma for the job? Yeah, no kidding. That is a good, a good gig, man. Definitely. You've got Mo Karma. Brett Harding, a hundred dollars. Uh, thought you might appreciate this. Big fan of the show. Soon to contribute the Road to Hell picture. Did you have a to see a Road to Hell picture? I didn't. Yeah, he actually has sent me this picture before. Um, he donated. Uh, he didn't, and I couldn't find a note for him, but this picture is great. I'll forward it to you. It has the um. It's a representation of the Black Lives Matter, uh, Black Lives Matter Plaza, mm-hmm. and instead of uh, Black Lives Matter in yellow letters, it says "Road to Hell," <laughs> and then it has at the end oh, of the street. Oh yes, I like saw a, that. <laughs> yeah, that was that was hilarious. Uh, it's actually my screensaver now. <laughs> oh, very nice. What, that, explain what's at the end of the road because I I stepped on it. It's hell. It's yeah, hell. It's exactly. like it's purgatory. Yeah. <laughs> um. Then we have. Our first associate executive producer, Art von der Vilp. Sounds Dutch to me. Mo, Adam, I listened to the GBG episode of my shed, reloading for my old Murica walnut and steel. Uh, oh, he's got he's in a gun club. Dutch ranges have finally opened after a four-month closing. Another great three hours of very interesting insights. Well worth a GBAAWASA donation, which is give blacks and Adam's white ass some ammo donation. <laughs> <laughs> Double tap thirty aught six. Keep up the good work. I like that art. Thank you very much. One of the few people in uh, the Netherlands that would uh, be licensed to have a firearm. Of course, let's listen to Mofax. What do you think, Meredith Madden? Fifty eight dollars and says I was particularly inspired by the episode GBG, and I've said gun control is racist for the longest time. I can't afford to give enough to buy you a gun, but I can buy you some bullets. Or two memberships to the NAAGA, $29 per person per year. Thank you. We'll sign up right away. I can be the honorary shadow. Uh, Love the show, (laughs) y'all. Keep it up. As a criminal defense attorney, racism and biased policing are common topics discussed with my friends. That conversation is recently dominated by socialists, a la Black Lives Matter, Inc., or uh, as we say now, Black Inc., 
So I'm glad to hear another perspective on the MoFAC show. As for the alternative to the No Agenda Peerage Committee, what about your own fraternity or maybe even your own boulet? I think that would be fun. The merch ideas are already running through my head, says Meredith, uh, Dame Meredith, the fair order of anonymous from N.A. Peerage. Okay, Mo, we've danced around this topic for a while, which is uh, basically to have levels of achievement in uh, producership where you can, um, just purely based on your own accounting, uh, when we come to a certain number, then you can become a, well, no agenda has a knight or a dame of the round table. You've been thinking about this. What do you, what do you have? Well, hearing that Malcolm X clip, speaking of bringing them to the table, I don't want to, you know, step on the, uh, no agenda format, but I mean, it's kind of like bring them to the table. I mean, we need to in, in grain that into our, our, uh, to the table. Yep. Okay. Yeah, yes. So we need to bring people to the table. Uh, the limits. I don't know how we set those up as far as I think. But, we, but we, when we bring them to the table, we call it at the table. We we call it. We got to have you tell me. Yeah, we could listen to that clip again because I think we need to center around that. I mean, because that's what this is the con. And when people say the conversation, this is what needs to happen. People set aside their emotions and have an open conversation. And I think everybody has been contributing to the show as producers are all for that. So First, the white man and the black man have to be able to sit down at the same table. The white man has to feel free to speak his mind without hurting the feelings of that Negro. And the so-called Negro has to feel free to speak his mind without hurting the feelings of the white man. Then they can bring the issues that are under the rug out on top of the table and take an intelligent approach to get the problem solved. That's the only way that they'll ever do it. Okay. I'm going to think about this, too. Yeah, so I'm thinking seat at the table, but like I said, we seat at the can table. It. All right, well, yeah. we're working on it, Meredith. Thanks for kicking that off, Michael Bradbury at Double Nickels on the Dime, fifty-five ten in the morning. And before you continue, we do have a fraternity. It's called the School of Fish. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're all swimming. Right. We're swimming, baby. We're swimming. All right. Well, that's another good one. <laughs> I like that too. You can do a lot with fish. All right. Uh, in the morning, Mo and Adam says Michael Bradbury. After hearing Adam and John mention the show on No Agenda, I finally started listening a few weeks ago and have been going back through the older episodes when I can. The analysis on each show is fantastic, so I had to send some value your way. Keep up the great work, and if it's not too much trouble, could I get some Mo Karma? Yes, you can, Mike. Thank you very much for your support. You've got Mo Karma. Brian Rogers, 55, good day to you, both Mo and Adam. Please accept this donation for supplying tremendous content that is seemingly unavailable on any other platform. Mm -hmm. As a suburban white kid who grew up good friends with several black kids, too, I was put on to some aspects of black culture, namely rap music and sneaker culture. Your podcast has had a profound impact on the way I used to differentiate between being white and black. With the help of the Podfather, you've shown me that there are a lot more similarities between white people and black people especially in the way we think than what the mainstream media would have us believe exactly really groundbreaking work can i please have a wusa with a dash of mo karma you've got mo karma 
Rochelle Stowe, 5333. This producer is uh, from Rochelle Stowe, and here's her note. Okay. Started listening to MoFax after my husband, Jake, a longtime No Agenda listener, heard about this new project. We're in our 30s, live in Seattle, and we listen to this podcast together when we're road tripping. Jake says he's a cultureless white mutt. I have a mixed background. My dad grew up in Jamaica. My mom's extended family is from Croatia, so I've always grown up between two worlds. When I hear Mo talk about being a proud black man and how... Have you ever said you I'm a proud black man? Maybe. <laughs> I'm trying to think. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I mean, I, I, I'm trying to think if you've ever said that. that. When I say the term black, it's the first definition, not the second. So, exactly. I mean, exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I just thought it was interesting because you come across that way regardless. You come across as a proud, <laughs> proud mofo. We love it. Right. Uh, here, Mo talk about being a proud black man, how I wouldn't want to be anything else. I think about how my dad raised my brother and I, that we can't do anything, be anything, and achieve, that we can do anything, be anything, and achieve whatever we want. I started getting attention from my friends and coworkers that made me feel like a victim because of the color of my skin, especially after George Floyd was murdered. The attention is overwhelming and exhausting. This is a great note. But this show mm-hmm. gives me context to help navigate this fun, help navigate conversations about race. Hearing the history of why black people are taught by media to feel victimized rid me of that anxiety. Every day I say to myself that knowledge is power and I feel very powerful because of your work. Mo Karma with a kick of goat scream for all the new listeners, please. Also, I uh, just watched The Last Dance with Michael Jordan and I'm curious, what do you think about him? Thank you very much, says Rochelle. Now, I really really love this note because it's helping her understand uh white people and i remember her husband writing in actually mm-hmm. he wrote in a, oh that's right a, i do a remember few that. shows ago right, yeah we, we remember right. we remember these things people <laughs> that's right that, uh, uh, and, and he was talking about how helpful from his perspective it was and i'm glad to hear her um give yes. us her firsthand uh account on yes. how helpful it is all right, now Michael Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player ever by far. It's not even close. Uh, I think he gets a hard. Uh, they're pretty hard on him because he's not as woke as people would want him to be. But they got to realize he only made two million dollars a year playing basketball compared to forty million dollars a year that the players make now, so, plus the shoe deals that they get. So they can be a lot allowed to be appear to be a lot more woker if that's the word than Michael was because. He was actually kicking open the door that they reap the benefits from now. I don't have uh, the ESPN uh, on-demand thing or whatever the hell it was, but it just hit Netflix, and uh, the keeper right. and I, because she lives in Chicago, mm-hmm. you know, she she witnessed all of that. She 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 was a Bulls fan like everybody, um, and uh, we only hit episode two, but I. I love this series. It's fascinating to watch. It's, obviously, I don't know crap about sports. Uh, I recognize. We're working on it. We're working on it. (laughs) Scotty Pippen, though, man, that's an interesting dude. I mean, especially with the deal he signed and he, you know, it was horrible. It's it really is. I I feel I feel for him. He's a very interesting guy. Anyway, let me do this uh, Mo Karma with a goat scream twist for you. Thank you very much, Michelle. Ah, there we go. Eric Hokel from Deutschland. We know him. Fifty two dollars. No note, but thank you very much, Eric. Danke schön. I should just say. Can I say one more thing? When people write in, they don't send a note. Just put no note in the comment because I have an anxiety (laughs) that I'm going to miss somebody and I have to check 
everywhere possible. Right, Every right, combination right. name, email address possible. Got it. So just put it, it. It'll save me a bunch of time and take away the anxiety that I don't want to miss anybody. I know when you guys write these notes that it means a lot to you. So that's why I'm very uh, particular about make sure I get people's voices out there. Well, sir, Johnny B did add a note and he said uh, 5150, which is, of course, code for time to take someone to the to the nut house. Uh, how is it that people can gloss over the obvious language of white supremacy in all these anti-racist articles? It's depressing me. I need some sanity. Hope you guys are back soon. I love you guys. That's capital L. Rebelizer out. Thank you very much, Sir Johnny B. And here we are. Alan Adler, $50. Love the show. He says, here's my contribution for your new Glock 9mm. Give Bell Black's guns. Uh, Sir Daddio of the Seven Wonders, $50. Mo, this is a good faith donation for value I've received, but I need you to understand I'm a proud Southerner who owns a Confederate flag, has pictures of General Lee and Bedford Forest decorating my house, and I'm a student of Southern history and culture. I'm also half Korean for what it's worth. There are many good Southern people who are proud of their lineage and were not white supremacists or anything like what the media programs people to think about Southerners. How many times have you seen a good portrayal of a redneck in the media, news, TV, or movies? I'd love to talk history and philosophy with you, Mo, and maybe we can do a meetup someday and have dinner and a drink or two. I'm in Virginia. But after your comment about removing the Confederate memorials because they were terrorists, I needed to push back on that completely incorrect narrative. While I disagree with you on more than a couple of things, I've listened to this podcast and going back and listening to the archives for shows I missed, because I want to better understand your point of view. And I've learned a lot and definitely received value from your podcast, which is why I need to return some value to you. I think a lot of folks would also benefit from learning about the actual history and culture of the Old South. We have a lot more in common than the media would have you think. No surprise. At any rate, best to you and yours and to Adam and all his folks. Sir Daddio of the Seven Wonders. When I use the term terrorist, I said by their own definition. So people on the right, I don't want to assume that he's on the right, but people on the right often say, if you go against your country, you're, you're treasonous and you're a terrorist and, you know, those things. So I'm just saying by that definition that those people set, then you have to judge it the same way. To me, I'm not bothered. I'm not bothered by the Confederate flag or uh, Civil War. I actually even said in the show I mentioned that was I have more understanding now living in Virginia right. uh, because I, I get to understand it a little bit better. Now, I will say this. Uh, he said about lineage, and that's why I rung my bell. I never said for anybody to deny their lineage. Actually, if you for anybody that we were saying was listening to the show, that's one of the things that irks me the most right. <laughs> when people deny their lineage because that's why we got on the whole passing thing. It's like that's the that's the worst thing you could ever do is deny where you came from. Yep. So, I mean, like I said, I believe, as Trump said, there's good people on both sides. Uh, <laughs> uh, but what I mean by that is you could be a, a student of history or a former, like, I mean, Okay, say so I found out today my great-great-great-grandfather fought on the side of the Confederate. I wouldn't want him to be canceled. No. I mean, that, I mean, I wouldn't. But now, would I celebrate it? I, I'm not sure. But I can't condemn uh, uh, anybody that wants to celebrate their lineage. I can't. I, I will not. Good. So I hope, I hope that brings some further understanding to where I'm at but when I say use the word terrorist I'm going by the de- the rights definition of 
when they throw the word around terrorist or treasonous or those kind of things. So, so that's, that's that's the point I'm trying. I to can't make. wait for the first Mofax meetup in Virginia. I'm going to be there, and I, I <laughs> please, hope Daddy O joins us. That'd be fun. Uh, thanks, Daddy O. Uh, Fifty dollars from Buford. Uh, Kuchik Jr. Hmm, I should know how to pronounce that. Mo, I'm currently working through a devastating relationship crisis due to questioning everything. I need to do something that makes me feel good. Here's my first slice of value for value. <laughs> well, we'll give this guy a little relationship, Mo Karma. It sounds like he needs You've that. Got. Mo Karma. Thanks, Buford. Ashley Schmidt, $50. I'd like to make this donation in honor of my 27th birthday on 7-11, which happens to be the keeper's birthday as well. And remember, on seven, if your birthday is on 7-11, you can get a free Slurpee at 7-Eleven. Uh, also, in honor of my sister's wedding that day, which is also the 11th. Holy crap. Uh, we missed that. Sorry. Uh, but congratulations and, 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 all, and happy birthday. This show has completely changed my life and perspective. Thank you guys for what you do. You are changing people's lives. That's You cannot give us a higher compliment. Thank you, Ashley. Hilary Avicelli uh, sent us $50. Thank you. Timothy Cato uh, says, uh, stay strapped or get clapped, which he says, attributes to Sun Tzu. But, <laughs> Something like that. Yeah, I guess. Uh, anonymous, $47, uh, which would be typically... Yeah, and we're probably going to have to put in limits pretty soon, the length of these uh, notes and the number of donations. Uh, But this would be a a number to hide the identity perfectly done, Anonymous. GBG, keep me anonymous. Thanks for what you do. Anyways, I found this show from the Rogue. Another another, uh, Ronimo. Another Ronimo. Yep. I found this show from the Rogan podcast after a few episodes. Also found Adam does that other show looking. Oh, maybe he came here first. Uh, looking forward to more. And I'm glad I could provide some of that government dollars to the show. Thank you, Anonymous. Ian McAfee, uh, $43 in the morning. Mo, so glad uh, you two got together to bring us Mo Facts with Adam Curry. Love what you're doing and how you do it. Keep them coming. And thank you for your courage. Thank you, Ian. Thirty-six ninety from Connor Lawrence in the morning, gentlemen. Love the episode from last week. Mo, if I had any money, I'd buy you a javelin from <laughs> COD. What's that? Call of Duty? Yeah. Oh, brother. <laughs> Give, no, G- I, just, I just got the mental picture of the nerds. Well, with, the, with the javelin so. well, he takes it a little further gbml give blacks missile launchers okay adam if you want one you'll have to settle for a harpoon gun named dylan this is ados only <laughs> the white guy gets gypped on this i got a harpoon gun also harpoon gun named dylan sounds like a fan fiction version of a fish called wanda anyway question from always says what are your thoughts on the Redskins finally caving on a name change? Do you like any of the rumored replacements? Okay. Let me break down this whole uh, Redskin thing. Just for, I'm going to give you like in, in a minute. I think the owner Schneider uses it as an opportunity to use uh, social pressure to change the name. The inside baseball on that is he would not be allowed to bring the team within uh, Washington, D.C. city limits until he changed the name which he has his eye on the RFA, RFK old stadium. So I think he uses his coverage uh, to his uh, loyal fans and say, hey, what am I doing? My hands are tied. I had to change the name. You know, Nike took the, uh, the apparel off and a couple of other companies took their apparel off until they changed the name. What I think they should change the name to is just Washington, D.C. Yeah, leave it at that. I mean, that way, I mean, it's... Well, what was interesting is... Um... 
the National Association of uh, Native American Caregivers or uh, Caretakers or something. Mm-hmm. I I, uh, I was reading a whole article. The most uh, American Indians, as I think they would like to be called, they they are like no one asked us. It's like this is bullcrap. There's a strong what? warrior. They love that, and they have no problem with it. Let me give you a little insight on that. There are some tribes that are getting their pockets lined and other tribes that are not. And that's yeah, the real real. That's all. It always <laughs> comes down to that. Of course. <laughs> You're right. That's the real real. All right. Now he says, for Adam, can you actually name the team? He says Cam, but I guess he names Cam plays for. Yeah, it's the Patriots. Am I wrong? Yes. Okay. And nice. you say you don't know sports. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, uh, can the pastors bless me and Elisa with some of that sweet, sweet woosa and goat mo karma? Pretty please, you bet. No. You've got mo karma. A reverse woosa. There you go. Thank you very much, Connor. Paul Arsenault. Uh, please buy a brother some bullets for a three fifty seven. That's all I can afford right now, Mo. <laughs> Thank you, Paul. Uh, John Mahala, thirty three thirty three. Mo Adam, not only is thirty three thirty three the magic number, it also represents thirty three one third RPM for vinyl records. I've enjoyed hearing a different perspective on Kanye, Tupac, and others in your podcast. It's given me a greater understanding and appreciation of music from Ados artists. A few weeks ago, I was visiting uh, Tyron North Tyron Tyron North Tryon. Carolina. Oh, Tryon. I'm sorry. Yeah, I know Cam, but I don't know Tryon. Uh, yeah. Tryon, North Carolina, which happens to be the uh, birthplace of Nina Simone. Turns out uh, she was an outspoken civil rights activist who was both a friend and neighbor to Malcolm X. Now, when I listen to Nina Simone in concert, the civil rights overtones, which seem to be lost on much of the audience on the record, are glaringly obvious to me. I'd love to hear some more episodes explore the role and impact of music on the civil rights movement. But for now... I'm sure there are higher priorities. Either way, I'll still be listening. Thanks again for all the value you give. Yeah, that's that is good. I love Nina Simone too. Yep. Um, oh, here's Dame Jennifer, Jennifer Buchanan. The new studio sounds great. Yes, <laughs> Mo, your sound is fantastic now. It's nice and quiet. <laughs> Glad the move went well. I'll keep propagating the food for thought. I definitely made some progress on my last No Agenda meetup in June. To be honest. It's an easy sell with excellent material that you keep presenting. XOXO, Dame Jennifer. Thank you, Dame Jennifer. And she already helps us so much. And I was going to say that that's not the only value that she provided. So she should be way farther up the list. Uh, Thank you, uh, Jame Jennifer. (laughs) Yes, this seems to be sticking, the Jame Jennifer bit. Sonia Payne, 3232. Happy 32 birthday to my smoking hot husband, Nathan Payne from uh, Paragon, Indiana. Couples that listen to Mo Facts together stay together. Indeed. And uh, happy birthday to him, Sonia. Gabriel Harrow, $30, learning much more on this podcast than I did in high school or college. Ditto. Can there be a podcast on the link of Christmas and Saturnalia? Maybe. You never know. Seems like we're celebrating a pagan or Luciferian holiday, unknowingly. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, maybe. Okay. <laughs> Chris Grumall, $25. Hey, Mo, love the show. You say that it always starts with black people. Well, even alien abduction started with the black guy. Check out uh, the Betty and Barney Hill case. Coincidence? I think not. Damn it, man. <laughs> we just can't keep up first to be abducted by aliens. Hold that door open. Here we come. Adrian Magnuson White, $25. Thanks, Mo and Adam, for continuing to open my eyes. Love the show and everything it stands for from Adrian and Sarah Magnuson White. 
Uh, $25 from Chef Elvis Rosenberg. Thank you. John Taylor, $20.20. And Eric Hoff, $20. William Smock, $20. Hey, Mo, do you think black folks can distinguish between a racist and an a-hole when out in the in the world? When I run into a white jerk, I think a-hole. But if I was treated the same and I was black, I might think racist. Yeah, we can. I, yeah, I, yeah. I would think so, yeah, easy, too. Easy, easy. Yeah, yeah. and I, I don't think you're always looking to see if someone's racist. You see if someone's an a-hole before anything, I would Far I greater would chance that they're a-hole than racist. Far yeah, greater chance. This does happen. <laughs> Carlo Romero, $20, quick North Carolina-centric survey. Do you prefer Little Brother or P.D. Pablo? Uh, little Brother's better. P.D. Pablo got the biggest hit out of North Carolina ever. Take your shirt off. $20 from Oshonda Hill. Uh, G. McDonald says, thanks for the great podcast. Andrew McPeak, 1776, a clear signal in honor of the 4th of July show. Mo, you continue to enlighten the masses. I'm embarking on some new books based off the show. I'll be starting Malcolm's autobiography once it arrives and digging into the Black Panthers after that. We were all lied to in school. But hey, join the party. Andrew, I asked this question to producer Jim during the GBG show. Why has no one ever asked the question as to why Sharpton and Jackson have been able to operate in complete safety for the last 40 years, but Malcolm King, Seals, Newton, Evers, etc., who were all for progression of the black community, were either assassinated or put in prison? I pause for Moe's comment. <laughs> you already know the answer to yourself. Uh, <laughs> we don't if, want progress. We want, you know, we want uh, po- uh, pawns, not progress. Pawns, not progress. There you go. Uh, on a side note, have you watched Malcolm X docu series on Netflix? The gentleman. Yes. Is it good? I have not watched it yet. Is it good? Is it? Is it- y- yes, it is. It's depressing, but it's good. Okay, good. Uh, well, thank you very much, uh, Andrew, and thank you for the support. David Smith, 1619, another message. Loving the show, Mo. You are changing my opinion on a great many things. David Driscoll, 1533, intellectual reparations. Thank you for the truth. Uh, Theodore, Theodore Papianano, I think, 1333. Ted from PA for several months found Adam through JRE. No agenda help me and my pregnant uh, a silent smoking hot wife make it through some tough and uncertain times. Mofax is another beacon of great sense making and entertainment. 1333, because my mom had a dream about that number, and what better place to put my speculation about its meaning than donating to you two for the first time? More to come after we have our son. Thank you. And can I please get a Wusa mixed goat? Uh, no karma. You, ooh, you got it. We'll do you some Wusa here with a goat. Wusa. And we're nearing the end here. Can I stop you right there? Because this has to go with the people under $10. Okay, so you know you say you want to shorten the list up just to shorten the show up. Uh, so we're going to have a cutoff soon. Okay. Well, I will say this. I, this is just my recommendation. Everybody that donates between one penny and $9.99, we do a pick three number. Because this guy right here just led me to this. In the black community... Number running numbers is like and playing numbers is like a big thing. Okay, it's a, it's a pick. Th- it's a pick three, and in the dream number, like a lot of women and men say, oh, "I dream, I dream that number," and they'll play it right. So <laughs> maybe we could just have one lucky person that hits that number on oh, between okay. nine cents and one penny. <laughs> okay, I like we'll, that. We'll, we'll, we'll read their note. That way, we're, we're hearing from everybody. We, everybody has a voice. So, and this th- just just an idea. 
So this is lucky three. Is this where you can get at 7-Eleven, the lucky three numbers? Yes. Pick three. Pick three. It's what caught this is the pick three, but I mean... I didn't know. I didn't know Malcolm this, X. I didn't know this is a big ADOS thing. The pick three. Yeah, oh. yeah. The Malcolm. X. No, but but see, it was not from like the state lottery. It was the number runner. Oh yeah, well, uh, that's no, what of Malcolm course. X. Yeah. <laughs> so Malcolm X was a number runner, and uh, I love that. Yeah, it's he. It's, yeah. So I'm mean, just an idea. Y'all let me know, but just well, just so we always can hear from. Yeah, I vote in favor. Uh, people. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> What a favor. All right. It's approved. Good. Yeah. Well, we'll have to do that because otherwise it's just a lot of show. Stephen McConnell, thanks for the sanity. He says with 1111, running numbers himself there. Kevin Roa, $10 value for value. Uh, Erkan Oktem. Thanks, Mo. I'm just going to do them all for today, Mo. Uh, $10. Thanks, Mo. Okay. That's fine. No, that's fine. Yeah. But moving forward. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, really enjoy every minute of this. Keep it up. Much love from uh, from Berlin, Neukölln. Okay. Uh, Derek McNulty, $10. Wish I could pay more. It's fine. That's great value for us. Love the show. Bobby Flush, $10. Thanks for spreading so much needed knowledge. Harkin Riders, $7.59. Show support. See the note on Twitter. Best. Dan, did you see the anything on the Twitter? Probably missed it. Uh, Andrew. Yeah, I'll get him next show. I'm sorry about that. Uh, I couldn't find it, but I'll, I'll send, you either send it again or I had to do yeah, it. Twitter's not a Twitter. great place to leave your note. That's for sure. Right. Uh, Andrew McPeak, $5. Mo, my first donation was held up. I emailed you about it, and we appreciate that, Andrew. M. Uh, de Belt, hi, sorry for the racism donation last show. <laughs> Made me think about how I, as a simple Dutch guy, could chip in. So here's my sorry for Black Pete donation. <laughs> this, the, the Dutch with their Black Pete. I will start looking for a roux for further self-discipline and keep spreading the gospel, says Martin. Uh, that's a, a switch, like a, the, the, it's a long story. Black Pete is a whole nother thing, but if you want to know more about it, it's a, it's a big controversy in the Netherlands. I'll say this, Black Pete may have represented the Moors in yeah, oh, the totally. area at the time. Absolutely. Just, just absolutely that's going to be important that's going to be important just, just okay oh good <laughs> good uh william hawthorne five dollars fear is the mind killer you guys help people overcome that with great conversation and facts you guys are truly essential workers uh, thank you kevin La- uh, landry five dollars recently started listening to mo facts intriguing perspective and insights appreciated dave swigert 455 terry keller with 411 Ken Theroux with $3.33 mac and cheese diet donation. Thank you for your courage. And Theodore Agben Papianano, uh, who put $1.26. Ted from PA again, another number from my mom's same dream. <laughs> this this is what led this me to it. my original. Yeah. So this is. Thanks, Ted. You contributed. So I'm going to need some. I'm going to need some lotto, lotto balls, Adam. Uh, okay. I got to get. A, I don't have a lotto ball, uh, I, but I will get a lotto ball um, machine. In here. Right. Well, these people have helped, uh, all of you have helped produce episode 43 of MoFax with Adam Curry. It's very simple. What did what value did you get from this in the two or three hours that we do this show? Uh, just whatever you compare that to. That's very different for every individual, which just makes it so easy to support the program because you put in and, and what you put in, you get out of it. And what you get out of it, you put back into it. And uh, it makes you producers. And of course, we will have our uh, associate executive producers and executive producers listed uh, proudly in the show notes which you'll be able to find at mofax.com and you can support us by going to mofax.com or go to directly to the donation page at uh, mofundme.com m-o-e-f-u-n-d-m-e.com and thank you all for producing episode 43 
Well, I'd like to appreciate, um, show everybody appreciation for the value for value that they gave us. Uh, another person giving out value is Mr. George Soros at the, with a number of $200 million. <laughs> Press release. Open Society Foundations announced $220 million for building power in Black communities. To support this nation's historic movement towards racial justice, the Open Society Foundations today is announcing investments totaling $220 million in emerging organizations and leaders building power in Black communities across the country, placing a bet on their ability to carry today's momentum toward a better tomorrow. The largest share of this support, $150 million, will be through a set of five-year grants to Black-led justice organizations that help to create and now sustain the momentum towards racial equality. Open Society's response reflects our conviction that real progress requires sustained support over many years and letting leaders accountable to impacted communities shape the path forward. Quote, it is inspiring and powerful to experience this transformational moment in the racial justice movement, said Open Society Foundation's president, Patrick Gaspard. We're honored to be able to carry on the vital work of fighting for rights, dignity, and equity for oppressed people the world over, started by our founder and chair, George Soros. Yes, this show would have been two hours long had I not tossed that one into, uh, into Moe's lap. Yeah, we probably got it a lot sooner. T- Thank you, Adam. Uh, but <laughs> two hundred plus million dollars, and the Gaspard, the guy that runs uh, Open Society. You remember back when Joe Biden said, "If you're not you're not black, if you don't vote for, vote for Joe Biden." Yes, I recall. He he, he came out was very simple, uh, sympathetic towards Joe, and now I understand why because they were going to kick up two hundred million dollars to get Joe elected. Pretty oh, yeah. much. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. 220, actually. Yep. Right. Two, so 220. That, that's amazing. Uh, and they're going to go to. I just can't get my head around that number. That's a that's a lot of freaking money. And like, where is it going to? Uh, who are these groups? These justice groups? Of course, they're going to uh, getting the Soros sisters elected because we covered that in previous shows where uh, George Soros is enjoying getting. uh non-white or left-leaning white uh district attorneys preferably yes. females we 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 just got one in Austin although not female but uh there was huge $600,000 that came from a Soros political action committee that helped uh, the new DA yes so that I mean that's um that's Soros sisters all day, and you spell that dollar sign O R O dollar sign dollar sign S <laughs> I dollar. I mean a dollar dollar sign I dollar sign T A dollar sign. So if that's enough <laughs> enough dollar signs for you, that's Soros sisters. That's how you spell that's it. That's right. Because that's that's all they're that's all they're about is their dollars at the end of the day. Uh, and you can see this brand this black branding that uh, Patrice alluded to in her previous clip is about just giving cover for these corporations and, and these um, quasi-governmental uh, agencies. Well, so part of it is licensing. I mean, it really is not just moral licensing, but actual licensing. And believe me, Black Black Inc. has it, has it locked down, locked up. Um, there's really these, these nonprofits I've looked into them, and I don't know if you want to go into them, Mo, or what we need to discuss, but these... Uh, these, this, you know, very small two-person nonprofits, similar to the Patrice Colors 
kind of <clears throat> initial Black Lives Matter startup. <clears throat> then there's a larger organization, which is more of a clearinghouse. Uh, and a lot of these uh, organizations do that. For instance, uh, the Austin Justice Coalition, very small. They say they're a nonprofit, but they're not really. Mm-hmm. They have a uh, what they call a... Um, uh, and, and there's a special kind of agreement, which I question if that should be legal or not, where a, a a bigger nonprofit with all the back office can actually do all that work for you. But you give the money to them and they can, if they want, earmark some of it, according to the agreement, to go for other things. And it's also it's just completely goggles, not- curry, goggles, I'm goggles. Sorry, I'm a, it's not, it's, the thing is, it's so not transparent. <laughs> all right. I'll be, I know. I'll be quiet. I know. I'm I know. Quiet. No. But let's get into the second clip about the Open Society, and I like to mention that it is it, written, it is um, read by um, uh, James Jennifer. Yes, we recognize <laughs> that the struggle to dismantle systemic racism is an ongoing one. It has existed from the dawn of the republic to the present day, and is embedded in every level of government and in our penal and justice systems. But the power surge of people who have taken to the streets to demand that this nation do better, people of all ages, from all backgrounds, and in every corner of this country, gives hope to us all. The success of this movement, the largest in U.S. history, will be measured over years, not weeks. And we cannot say that Black Lives Matter and not make a multi-year commitment to a strategy set by and centering Black leaders and organizations who changed America's sense of what is possible, said Tom Perelio, Executive Director of Open Society U.S. <laughs> Recipients of this set of investments range from emerging groups to more established forces for civil rights. Among them, Black Voters Matter, Circle for Justice Innovations, Repairers of the Breach, and the Equal Justice Initiative. Some are fighting for an end to policing as we know it, and others are fighting for access to the ballot. Collectively, these organizations make up a vital ecosystem of justice, one that's poised to harness the extraordinary energy of today and ensure it results in meaningful reform. So, so there you have it. Uh Soros is shelling out the cash. And when you said this, when we said this over a year, almost a year ago, people rolled their eyes like, oh, Soros. Everything is Soros. <laughs> but it is. Here you, and not, like I said, Soros just drew the, um, the short straw. He, 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 he's the mascot. You got to do it, man. You got to do it. Right. Right. Um, he drew the short straw. And now he's had to have his name out there. But it's funny, one organization wasn't mentioned in that whole rundown. It wasn't um, Black Lives Matter. I, I found that very interesting that is it that they're trying to remain uh, Well, again, no. Um, there's uh, one of these nonprofits. If you look mm-hmm. at their, and I look at the Form 990, I just forget which one it is. I think the second one on the list. And let's tell people what that is. That's a CCC, right? That's a Curry Cash Chase. So, yes, uh, yes. I mean, so, cash check, excuse me. So every nonprofit has to report their operations. And, they, and it's called an IRS Form 990. Now, a very small ones under $200,000 can file an easy form, which gives you almost no information. But on the form, you can see how much money they brought in, what they spent, what they spent it on. It rarely gives you the actual donors uh, mm-hmm. and how that money comes in. And it's not 
uh, necessarily a requirement, although over certain levels it is, but it's all hidden. But it, it gives you some transparency, at least gives you an idea of what people are making, what their expenses are. And I have a pretty good feel for these kinds of things. And there's one particular there's one particular kind of nonprofit, which, gets, you know, we don't know the division either. I don't think it's equally divided. They're probably getting the bulk of the money. And that's the type of nonprofit that is a bunch of people who maintain a fund. So this nonprofit brings money in, it's donors, and of course it's uh, the people who are running the nonprofit at the same time. A lot of them are financiers, hedge fund people, and uh, so they can all stand around and say, look, we did a good job because they give the money out. So they take the money in from the from the big sources and they pass it on, and that is in fact their charity is the operating of the charity. Uh, so you can slush a lot of stuff to a lot of people, particularly if you have one of these financial agreements where um, your nonprofit is taking care of the legal, taking care of uh, the HR, the payroll for these smaller groups like, um, well, in fact, uh, some of the Black Lives Matter chapters, and it's a pass-through. So uh, outfits like uh, the Open Society Institute can donate this money. It goes in and, you know, they could have a, a, a meeting over coffee and say, hey, make sure you give it to them or to them. I mean, that's there's no transparency over that process at this point, other than here's the money going in, here's where it went in, and look who's on the street. <laughs> and, and that's really what you can then learn. Well, people are starting to ask questions, and one of the questions they're asking is how Black Lives Matter is being funded. Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation. That's the organization. They get millions of dollars but but they are not approved as a tax exempt organization so if you give them money on paper you could not deduct it so according to the washington times investigation george soros since 2015 has given black lives matter global network foundation 33 million dollars And on paper, he can't write it off, but he can. Now, here it comes. So the Black Lives Matter Global Network, okay, incorporated in Delaware, Joe Biden's home state, has forged an alliance with a group called Thousand Currents, 1,000 Currents, C-U-R-R-E-N-T-S, 1,000 Currents. They're in Oakland, California. They are run by a guy named Paul Strasberg. Let's see, Paul. Far left, way, way left. Um, I did a, de- a deep dive into yes. uh, Thousand Currents. Can I uh, depart on this and uh, tell you what I learned? Please do. Please. I've been waiting. <laughs> in, in light of this show, unless you already know this, it will be quite shocking to you. Thousand Currents, uh, now, their, the information is always going to be behind because in you know 2018, uh, taxes were filed. They don't have 19. And so we really have, we won't know about 2020 until 2021. Um, but they're about a six to seven million dollars that they brought in. What's interesting about uh, the uh, a thousand currents is it's a name change. It was rebranded around 2015, 2013, 14. It, I can't tell exactly. 
and the uh, executive director was removed. It used to be known as the IDX, which was the International Development Exchange, was run by uh, an Indian lady. And they they really, uh, as they even current or a thousand currents say, they're really involved with the the Southern Hemisphere, Africa, um, uh, with the deprived groups, etc. But it's not necessarily, in fact, not very much about Black Lives Matter at all, other than that they do the processing for them. But what's interesting is you can learn from the Form 990 about the board of directors and, uh, if, you know, if they're getting paid at all, salaries are listed. And I decided to take a look at some of these board of director members. And the vice chair of the board of directors is Susan Rosenberg. Uh, Susan Lisa Rosenberg. Have you ever heard of her, Mo? No, I have not. Well, Susan Rosenberg, born in 1955, is an American activist, writer, and advocate for social justice and prisoners' rights. From the late 1970s to the mid-1980s, Rosenberg was active in the far-left revolutionary terrorist May 19th Communist Organization, also known as M19, which, according to the contemptuous FBI report, openly advocated the overthrow of the U.S. government through armed struggle and the use of violence. M19 provided support to an offshoot of the Black Liberation Army, including, sounding familiar, (laughs) including in armored truck robberies and later engaged in bombings and government buildings. Some of us will remember if you were around. Uh, After living as a fugitive for two years, Rosenberg was arrested in 1984 while in possession of a large cache of explosives and firearms. Remember, she's on the board of the organization that does the money for Black Lives Matter. Uh, she had also been sought as an accomplice in the 1979 prison escape of Asada Shakur and the 1981 Brinks robbery that resulted in the deaths of two police and a guard. Uh, Rosenberg, here it comes, was sentenced to 58 years imprisonment on the weapons and explosive charges. She spent 16 years in prison, during which she became a poet, author, and AIDS activist. Her sentence was commuted to time served by President Bill Clinton on January 20th, 2001, his final day in office. This is, in fact, a radicalized feminist um, Marxist who was doing the very same things that Black Lives Matter is doing. Birds of a feather. <laughs> I mean, so this, and did you know this? Did you know about Rosenberg? I did not. I did not. I mean, I, I knew about Asada Shakur and the bank robberies. and. I, but did I you know that um, she was, she is the vice chair of essentially the entire operation of, of Black Inc.? I did not know. And she's, this is, this is the, she's, a, she's a communist, a Marxist. The, the, these are, it's the same script, the exact, and some, it's the same people. And if you go to the Thousand Currents uh, website and look at their logo, the O and the U is represented by uh, Ouroboros or the affinity sign or the snake eating eating itself. Holy crap! And and you know, and and so this the the previous so what they did is they they just took this nonprofit. And I found the resignation letter from the the uh, previous executive director. She's like, well, you know, obviously this changed. They have some different ideas. I'm leaving. Wish everybody well. And everything changed. They just took this existing organization, yes, and uh, and rebranded. And there's and there's and it's a complete slush fund front 
But is it really? Because we have one of the most radical Marxist people right here in the operation. And somehow it's not really reported on that much. And she's dealing with other radical Marxists playing the same tactics. That is your high command right there. Well, your high operational command. Right. And, and the money, and you're saying the money still come pouring in. They're like, oh, we got our book straight over here. You just give us the money and we'll filter it out. Man, that's a ama- <laughs> Exactly. Here, 2011, Rosenberg published a memoir, An American Radical, a Political Prisoner of My Own Country. I mean, this is so good in light of how you set us up throughout this uh, throughout the show today, Mo. It's fantastic. This fits and so I- perfectly. And if I'm not mistaken, I think their new leadership is this Somali lady. So if you want to get into the Somali connection. (laughs) Surprise, surprise. I'm just saying. I'm just going to put that out there. I'm not going to. They never disappoint, do they? No. Right. Uh, But this the same thing was going on in 1966, and it was uncovered by the John Birch Society. Anarchy. The breakdown of law and order. A chaotic reign of terror, mob rule, and rioting. The collapse of government authority. These phrases ring strange in the ears of Americans, and for good reason. Through the years, America has stood as the world symbol for law and order. Our government is responsive to the will of the people. Our courts and legislatures provide the mechanics for a peaceful redress of grievances. And the policeman on the corner has traditionally been looked upon as a friend, not as the instrument of a tyrant. Anarchy? Well, that was something we read about in our newspapers that was always happening in other countries. Then, in the summer of 1964, widespread rioting and looting suddenly broke out in Harlem, in Rochester, in Newark, in Jersey City, in Philadelphia, Cleveland, and Chicago, all within a few days of each other. It was as though an unseen hand had given the signal. The degree of communist influence in these riots has been subject of much discussion and controversy. Not anymore. And I I love it because we can just we can almost predict the next steps in the script. And maybe people have this knowledge. They see this repeat from the 30s and then the 60s, 60s. And then they redid it in the 80s. I mean, it was more cultural Marxism then. But now they're coming back around to the hardcore stuff. That's right. And maybe, maybe we'll all get an effing clue. And when you support these organizations now, be clear that you're supporting Marxist agendas. I mean, I I can't put it any other way. And this is where it gets real juicy. Not only you supporting a a Marxist, Marxist agenda, you may be supporting a racist himself in Marx. Because Marx wanted German socialist Ferdinand LaSalle to find me some literary business in Germany to supplant my diminished income and increased expenditure, he cultivated him with flattery to his face and contempt behind his back. Marx referred to LaSalle's book on Hegel as an exhibition of enormous erudition when writing to LaSalle and as a silly concoction when writing to Engels. Marx added that LaSalle was a Jewish nigger, based on Marx's analysis of his appearance. <laughs> uh, hold on a second. We just... I, the show just got canceled. 
We got to cancel Karl Marx. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. He's no we good. Got, he's no good. He's a, he's a, he said the N word. And then he said, no, he called him a Jewish nigger. <laughs> it's a JN word. Yeah, what I'm, what I'm saying is either way, either way you cut that that combination of words, he got to get up out of here. What, <laughs> what, what are we doing here? We need oh, a, but it gets we it need gets a, we, need, we need a clip of him saying that. <laughs> well, I don't have a clip. I don't, I don't have a clip of him saying this, but this is from a very reputable uh, author, Mr. Uh, Thomas Sowell. It is now perfectly clear to me that, as testified also by his cranial formation and hair growth, he is descended from the Negroes who joined Moses' exodus from Egypt, unless his paternal mother or grandmother was crossed with a nigger. Well, this combination of Jewish and Germanic stock with the negroid basic substance is bound to yield a strange product. The fellow's importunity is also nigger-like. Oh my God, this is great. Karl Marx is very problematic. Very yeah, problematic. Very problematic. He, in fact, you're just normalizing racism if you're for Marxism. And didn't he just say the same thing that uh, the football player um, Deshaun Jackson get counsel for? Yes. For retweeting from Hitler. Yeah. The same the blacks are the Jews. I'm not talking about the N-word now. Go back and play that clip again. He just called and said the black people were the original Jews. That's what Karl Marx said. Yeah, listen. clear to me that, as testified also by his cranial formation and hair growth, <laughs> he is descended from the Negroes who joined Moses' exodus from Egypt, unless his paternal mother or grandmother was crossed with a nigger. <laughs> well, this combination of Jewish and Germanic stock with the Negroid basic substance is bound to yield a strange product. The fellow's importunity is also nigger-like. Wow, man. This is so good. So have, have you really read all of Marx? Have you really seen what he wrote? I mean, do you really know how problematic he is? Right. We could we could go. We could play that. Well, if, if they try to play the one hand, well, he's not being offensive to black. Yeah. Well, he's being offensive to our, to our Hebrew brothers and sisters. Yeah, you know exactly. Um, either way, we got to get him up out of here. But there may be a reason Uh-oh. that Karl Marx is above cancellation. Oh my. Karl Marx grew up a brilliant, spoiled child who bullied his younger sisters and taunted his schoolmates with sarcastic witticisms, in addition to entertaining both with imaginative stories. He had a swarthy complexion that in later years earned him the nickname The Moor, a name used far more often in his inner circle, including his children, than was his real name. Okay. You rang the bell on Swarthy, and I just happen to know why you rang the bell, because we both studied this word recently. Yes. And it was in... And re- called the Moor. Yeah. Marks the Moor. Marks the... Wait a minute. Was, was Mark black? <laughs> he was Swarthy. Said- swarthy. Well, for people that don't know, let's get the etymology of Swarthy from Chronicles of Judah 144. All right, now we're looking at swarthy, right? Swarthy, dark colored, especially of skin. All right, so now, <laughs> now Benjamin Franklin, he called the Germans swarthy. Now, what Germans do you know today? When you, once again, don't, when you think of Germans, don't you think of um, Caucasian people with blonde hair and blue eyes? Hmm? Swarthy, dark colored, especially of skin. 
1580s, unexplained alteration of swarthy from swart, related swarthiness. Now the next one, schwarz, also schwarze, black person, somewhat derogatory. 1961, Yiddish, from schwarz, black. See, swarthy. Now, <laughs> now for the people who try to gainsay and say, oh no, when he says swarthy, it's just talking about. To now, why is it that when, that when it says black, it says see swarthy? <laughs> hmm. <laughs> I looked it up when we were reading an article about uh, uh, women in Elizabethan times uh, getting this really white makeup to put on their face. Because right. uh, they might have not been white enough at the time to be part of the bloodline and were thus seen as swarthy, which is Schwartz is black. It's fantastic. No one knows this shit anymore. <laughs> and we have, he, as he mentioned in his clip, that even Benjamin Franklin referred to the Germans as swarthy yeah. and, and, and uh, tawny, which tawny is more like a light brown. But if you go and look at the younger pictures of uh, Karl Marx, he looks like Chico the Barge. <laughs> Why bullshit to, you Wait, not? he couldn't even be L? He's got to be Chico? Holy crap. <laughs> Downgrade. <laughs> no, but you can't, you can't make this crap up. You can't make it up. So wow. do we cancel him or is he above canceling because he's considered black? But nobody will tell you that. Wow. We've got this is... The, is that the rabbit hole where you said, stop, we have to actually make a show? I'm just not going any further than that. Is that kind of what happened? Because it's crazy. This is so good. Well, we tied a lot of things together here, Mo. We tied, uh, well, first of all, the most important is the total exposure of how this uh, black trap has worked with the, with the Marxism and has expanded into any group now known as identity politics, right through to this, to uh, to the actual man behind the movement now being resurrected by Susan Lisa Rosenberg for Black Ink. If this doesn't blow people's minds, I don't know why they invented marijuana. I'm telling you, this is fantastic. <laughs> I really appreciate it. And, and my major takeaway from this is black is two things. According to Patrice Colors, one, you have a race, race or lineage, which she has says has been constructed. And then you have a political statement. So we birthed the, the term black ink here on uh, on the show today and proud of it. And as I always say, pay attention to everything and the truth will reveal itself. And we will return uh, as soon as possible within a week. Re remember us at MoFundMe.com and check out the archives at MoFacts.com. See you next week, Mo. All right. See you later, Adam. Hey, some people are made of plastic. 